Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 178th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that can't wait to collect all the collectible cards in the collector booster pack for collectors. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good afternoon, everybody. Glad to be here. James, how are you this fine evening? Very good, sir. Very good. Still uh, coming off the high of opening about 15 boxes of Modern Horizons this weekend. That's a lot of Modern Horizons to open. Uh, It sounds like fun, but then you get to the other side of it, and then you're (laughs) like, okay, now I have this giant sack of cards that I have to do something with, and that just sounds miserable. There is definitely a Netflix project in my future sorting out the commons and uncommons that I pulled. Um, one of the things that was particularly interesting um, that became clear after opening 12 boxes of Russian in particular is that the fabled difference in the presence of foil snow basics is a definite thing. European boxes, including Russian, seem to have more or less exactly two foil Russian basics per box versus the 1.6 per case that we're seeing reported in English boxes, which makes a huge difference between the two boxes, especially when um, you can get them for close to 200, as we have been through MTG Price Pro Trader. And as a result, I ended up going ahead and selling two cases at a minor loss. I think I lost like 20 bucks a case on two English cases to just plow the money back into more Russian cases, because... The upside on things like Russian Force of Negation, Ren 6, a bunch of the other mythics, getting the two foil snow basics, plus, you know, what happens if you open a foil mythic every few boxes or so, um, really makes that worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, those lottery tickets are run, run real rich. I mean, I didn't get the craziest of all options like some of our members have opened the foil russian renin six and the force of negation and they're negotiating with people over a thousand dollars for those Sheesh. but i did pull foil russian sunbaked canyon that's probably an easy 150 i pulled a foil russian season pyromancer so that's probably 200 to 300 minimum i think lowest priced copy on ebay is like 800 or something now so it's you know, somewhere in the low single digit hundreds is probably realistic i pulled two foil russian hogak which would have been probably even more exciting a month ago, but Hogak hmm. just like 15, like fifteen and one or fourteen and one or fifteen and oat or something in the hands of Canter Canister, um, the uh, modern challenge on the weekend. So Hogak's not out of the game at all. Um, so I'm pretty pleased about those, and you, you just get all sorts of like tasty Russian foils of cards that you know, as we talked about last week, that have never existed in Russian foil before. So like. A random lava dart here and there. It's a common. You know, you can get a foil Russian unearth, which I did, which is reasonable money all by itself. Pays for several packs on its own. Um, Things like foil Russian nimble mongoose. Still, you're going to find somebody in Legacy that might be interested in that card. Um, And then there's all these, you know, random uncommons and rares that might get there one day. So, I mean, the the value is just so, so deep. Um, Looking forward to picking up another... 12 15 maybe 20 boxes of the russian uh <clears throat> that's that's 
that's going pretty deep. Uh, do you have any concerns about? Well, no, I guess you probably don't. I don't. Uh, I mean, people people always the mo the number one question about when I talk about Russian is how do how and where do you unload it? And I'm always mystified <laughs> that that people think it's that big a deal. Like, if you're used to flipping twenty playsets of a standard four of, then yeah, Russian must feel like it's moving really slow because you're not going to find you're not going to be able to do that. But it's a different kind of play. Like you're not looking to you don't need to out the entire value of the box. In fact, given what I got my boxes for, which was even a little better than what the, um, the pro traders got them for, the it didn't take more than two, three, sometimes four cards out of the box to cover the cost of the box. So I'm using my normal methodology. I'm cracking the whole box, putting aside the most valuable cards, and then I assign the value of the box to those, you know, however many cards it takes, building in a 20 or 30% margin, even for those cards, to cover the cost of the box. And then everything else I just mark as zero. And let me tell you, <laughs> that stack of zero cost cards that came out of those 12 boxes is pretty amazing. Like I haven't even added in the value of just Russian snow basics. Like you get one of those, you know, one per, um, one per pack, 36 packs a box. So market on those is somewhere like a dollar fifty to two fifty, depending on which one you're talking about. Let's say you're just going to unload them at a dollar each. You're still getting another thirty six dollars built into the box plus the thirty dollars per foil snow basic you're getting, which is sixty ninety six. So you're getting two hundred dollar boxes. Pretty much half your box is covered just by the basic lands. Never mind the things like scale up and unearth and lava dart and non-foil and all the other stuff that's going to be a dollar or two dollars down the road in English and will be a little bit more, a little bit of a premium in Russian to get people, you know, cool little play sets that doesn't matter that they can't read the cards because they've memorized what the cards do. Yeah. Which is really the sweet spot for the foreign stuff, right? It's You don't want to try to sell people an obscure commander card with a bunch of text on it because then nobody at the table knows what the hell is going on. But it's not that hard to find. It was never that hard for me to sell things like a foil Russian paradox engine, or a reality smasher, or um, anointed procession, or smothering tithe, uh, cyclonic rift, like cards that are identifiable on site where everybody knows the rules text of the card. That's definitely your sweet spot. Sure. Well, I mean that makes sense. That you know those are the and and the, the easy thing, ones to sell. The other crazy thing about modern horizons, just in general, is we're basically in peak supply right now. Like we're the market is as flush as it's ever going to be with these cards. And as we move into the full fall set, um, you know, commander decks coming out, uh, I think August 23rd or something. And then a month later, pre-release for uh, Eldrain, Um People are more and more distracted and less and less boxes are going to get opened and stuff's going to start draining. And we have a lot of things like the canopy lands that are kind of languishing in the like low to mid teens that are surefire 30 or 40 dollar cards down the road and the russian versions will have carry a premium over top of that. And you're opening on in on average four to six of those rare lands per box including prismatic vista. So, you know, it came out of that with a half dozen to, you know, somewhere between 6 and 10 of most of them out of those 12 boxes whole bunch of force of negations in russian and and the thing is like there's very little russian product in north america very little foreign product period because wizards doesn't want the distributors carrying it so there isn't really any in the distributor pipeline a lot of it's only being sourced from overseas um and you know once the russian vendors run out of their product i don't think you're going to see it again 
it's just going to be basically impossible to find. So if Travis, you pull your usual trick of sitting on it longer than everybody else, you might just be posting them at five to 600 a box in a year and selling one every six months or something. That's my plan. You see, my plan works very well uh, if you're lazy. Because <laughs> instead of <laughs> having to be time, like a... Which is, which is common. Yeah, I mean, it's more more the latter than the former, although it's closer than I'd care to admit. Uh, just the strategy of like, it, I, I can forget about it and not like have to think about it and still it does pretty well uh, instead of like trying to grind through all this stuff constantly, which I know people make a lot of money on, but then it turns into a job. And I still want it to be a hobby. Yeah, so I mean, I think my final tip on the whole like dealing with Russian boxes, Modern Horizons or anything else where you're dealing with that, you just get your recoup your costs as quickly as you can by selling off the most valuable stuff you pull and then consider whether you want to rebuy because i find that these boxes are very easy to rebuy with you can take like as i said you can take the top maybe three to six cards in the box that you pull and get most of the value of the box back sell those a little you know 10 percent below market the lowest price you know posted price you can find or whatever you think you can pull off get that cash back in hand and either redirect it to other things you need or, you know, go for that rebuy. Yeah. Um, well, uh, let's finish our intro now that sure. we're 10 minutes into the cast. Um, I'm looking forward to sharing some value information with you that uh, we haven't already covered so far. <laughs> our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today. MTG Price. Um, manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Uh, What is on the agenda this week, my friend? This week on the agenda, we have a show in four parts. Segment one is our top movers, where we will talk about the cards that have moved the most in price this week. We got a healthy list that's already been curated. Segment two, our cards to watch. We've got several more picks this week. Not quite as many as last week, but still a pretty pretty good run. Segment three, our metagame weekend review. We'll touch briefly on a couple modern decks and LSV's win uh, at the GP, GP Denver. Um, GP, nobody went. And segment four, topic of the week, uh, there's a lot of content coming out of San Diego Comic-Con. We now know the fall set is Throne of Eldraine, and we've got uh, all the pack changes, which are definitely going to matter. It's just no one's quite sure how yet, and no one will ever know what they are, because I guarantee you Wizards is going to change it every set, and you will never be able to keep track of it. But let's start. There is some complexity for us to unpack. That is, Yeah, there is. You know what? And it's not just that it's complex. It's that they're going to change it. They're going to change it frequently. Like, basically, once they open Pandora's box of, like, changing the way standard sets worked, they've changed it every standard set. Sure. And now I've just, like, lost track. And I think that's what's going to happen here. But in any case, segment one, we'll get there. Segment one, our top movers. First card of the week. Spell Stutter Sprite foils out of Modern Masters 4 to 8 on the back of Berries being announced in Throne of Aldrain. The invitation for the pre-release party or something or the event SDCC had fairies on it. And then somebody confirmed that there were fairies in the set. Every fairy in Magic that was for sale disappeared. 
Uh, it was later later commented on by Rosewater that like, oh, it's not like a tribal theme. It's just there are some fairies no, in the no, set. No, 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 no. This this is misinformation. The, in fact, people were calling trying to call me out frequently on Twitter today, um, claiming that I went <clears throat> like trying to make it seem like I went deep on fairies <laughs> or something when I'm in, in fact incredibly shallow. And most of that, most of the fairy cards I own, like secluded Glen, I bought because I thought fairies were in Modern Horizons when we saw fairies here. Um, and nothing to do with Eldraine. Uh, however, I don't blame the people that have gone gone in on some of those cards because Mero didn't say that. What he said was the whole set's not about fairies. Like, it's not just like 10 warring factions of fairies. There's a lot more going on. And the set is has been confirmed as basically a cross between um, Hans Christian Andersen and like uh, Arthur and the Round Table. So there's going to be a whole bunch of knights. You're going to see all sorts of tropes taken from like middle European fairy tales. We're getting the gingerbread man. We're getting, you know, Hansel and Gretel type stuff. They've got, uh, I think, uh, Will and Rowan, is it? I can't remember uh, who the twins are from. The twins he, from Battle. Rowan is the last like, name, maybe? Yeah. I know exactly Kenrith, what you're talking about, Kenrith? something like that. Yeah, Kenrith, Kenrith sounds about right. Will and Rowan Kenrith. I don't know. Magic cards. Yeah, it looks like... Will Kenrith and Rowan Kenrith. We had it. So there's a picture of a a riding hood, red riding hood looking character that's probably Rowan um, because the armor looked pretty similar. Um, and I would guess we're going to get big, bad wolf type stuff and a whole pile of knights, which makes sense. Now the Cavaliers in M20, um, look like even more of a plant because their creature types are elemental knights. So they Mm. lean both into the elemental side of things and the knights that are coming in Throne of Eldrin. Um, but I don't think people should assume that there are not fairies in the set. In fact, he confirmed that there are. The question is how many is it a minor sub-theme with like six cards or is it like 15 to 20 and we're getting two or three modern playable fairies? That's the question. If people Mo- bought modern modern specific fairies, then they're, hope, they're banking on some of those fairies being modern playable. So I guess time will tell. My bet is that this is not a tribal set in the way that other sets have been tribal sets. But I would be surprised if you only see three or four fairies. It seems like there's probably going to be, you know, a sub theme essentially of fairies. Um, And they only need to print one of them, one of them that looks playable in modern and people will get really excited because there's already a a decent support of fairies in that format. So um, they really just need anything to kind of push the push the theme a little bit further. And if you believe that the current incarnation of fairies in modern is actually fairies, ninjas, ice fang, kawaddle in the salte brews that have been 5 0 uh, leagues, then Fairy Seer is already um, seeing play in that deck out of Modern Horizons, and that already counts as one of the quote unquote new fairies for the year. So we'd only really need, as you said, like one, maybe two um, to maybe get that deck into position. And I suspect that if, if they're going to. When you get something like dinosaurs, you're thinking like mid-range, big butts, good in draft, maybe not in competitive, um, unless they give you activators to like make the cards cost less or whatever. But fairies mm-hmm. tend to be small and cost relatively little, so they're a good tribe to dump some competitive power into. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me at all 
to still, you know, despite be, it being confirmed that the set is not all the fairies, um, that there are one or two relevant cards. Yeah, it's, it's such an easy tribe for relevant cards to be printed in, I think is a takeaway, um, as opposed to, like you said, dinosaurs, or, you know, if they had said elephants or whatever, it'd be like, yeah, okay, what are the odds that they're going to suddenly make this tribe playable in modern? Yeah. The fairies are basically already playable in modern, so you don't need much to get it to have it be exciting. And they'll probably toss in a legendary fairy that could open up some commander space that we haven't really seen much of yet, or renew interest in that regards, and then that'll push some of that stuff, so... You know, I didn't go super deep. I snagged a couple here and there, um, you know, with the expectation that people are going to get excited about it, and there'll be at least one or two fairies that people care about. And given the amount of information we have, that's the correct move, right? We, we These are the kind of situations where you want to go shallow, not buy out every fairy. And yeah. it matters what you're targeting, too. I mean, I like the FNM promo spell stutter sprites a lot more than I like... Um, uh, like misbind click like a four casting cost fairy that has to champion a fairy because misbind click is a slow uh, b requires lots of fairies whereas spell stutter sprite doesn't not does not necessarily as it can you know line up as just a um, you know pay one or your countered kind of card um, so people have been running it with like an eight count of fairies in the deck and still being happy to play it as a four of so, you know, it, it matters what you're going after. If we don't get blue-black fairies, then Secluded Glen is certainly not turned on, um, which means that one could fall f- flat on its face. But given that people were in in the 3 to $4 range and, you know, there aren't very many copies left under 8 people may still escape by, you know, just on further news before we've seen the whole set. We see this all the time where you've got about 20% of the set revealed and people start trying to scoop stuff up. And, for instance, people going after ninjas pretty hard when the first ones were dropped for Modern Horizons. And it turned out that theme wasn't as exciting as it might have been. So many of those ninja specs probably didn't get there. Yeah, and, you know, I could see something like that happening with fairies here. Uh, It's probably not going to run as deep as people hope it does. And typically, honestly, they don't run as deep as people hope it to, right? Like, the I feel like the tribals... I, I fall into this trap all the time where I want the tribal stuff to really take off and it never does quite as much as I wanted it to. Uh, so it, it's it's going to happen to people, I think. But it doesn't mean they'll miss out. Of course, one of the big activators that we'd be looking for is the reveal of a strong fairy commander. Right, yeah, because which is, which is what I said earlier. Fairies isn't really much of a tribe and commander, but if they gave us enough of them and they gave us a great commander, then that might might be different. Yeah, and that's that's kind of was my thinking was, you know, there is two prong is you have a tribe that's already good in modern and you're giving them additional tools, a, a, a tribe that it's easy to print good tools for in modern. So you have that angle. And then on top of that, they're not going to miss the opportunity to give you um, ED8, a, a commander, essentially a fairy commander, uh, because they're here. That's, you know, they know their market. They've been printing commander cards every time. So that's what they're, you know, they're going to toss one of those out for you guys, um, which is going to turn suddenly turn on that tribe for commander play that's never had it before. Is it going to be a hugely popular tribe? No, nah, probably not. But people will still build it. There'll be some excitement for it. And that's all you really need. Right. So moving right along, Goblin Matron, 7th edition foils from 100 to 200, if you believe that. Uh, it got reprinted into Modern and Modern Horizons. Seventh foils generally lead the charge. 
Um, whether or not you can get 200 for it is probably just a matter of time. I think you probably, these are the kind of situations where you, if you got in sub 100, you're probably just aiming to get 140, 150, 160. No need to be greedy. Try to get a, you know, a solid ROI and move on. Yeah. Dead of Winter foils out of Modern Horizons 13 to 26 for a pretty clean double up. Dead of Winter is one of the cards that I had uh, my eye on during the spoiler season. Um, it's kind of a one-sided wrath, depending on how you set your deck up. Um, I don't think there's anything. Go ahead. Hmm? I would say I w- I'm not aware of anything specific that occurred uh, that drove this all of a sudden, other than just Ray- general Modern Horizons <laughs> pushing, but I could be wrong on that. Ray Perez appeared on Brainstorm Brewery last week and called it the best sweeper in Modern. Um, mm. He's a former rookie of the year. Um, not really on the pro <laughs> uh, scene anymore because he's one of the many strong players that were kind of squeezed out with all the new developments. Um, but Cliff also called Dead of Winter Foils on episode 175 while I was in Europe to go 8 to 25. So big win for Cliff. Mm-hmm. That is really good for Cliff. I kind of forgot that he said that, uh, but that's awesome for him. Um. This this also reminds me of one of the other things I saw with Modern Horizons boxes on the weekend. Uh, massive collation issues. There are really weird like reprint runs. I think I had a box that had three Dead of Winter. The two English boxes that I picked up from your house, I told you, um, were almost identical. Like they both had foil first livers, Archmage Charm, Brennan Sixes, Force of Negation, Hex Drinker, Sarah Benevolent, Sunbaked Canyon. Uh, Waterlog Grove, Giver of Runes, etc. I mean, getting duplicate rares isn't really that weird, but getting a, a run of the same mythics and basically in the same packs in those two boxes was extremely strange. And getting the odds of getting the same foil mythic in two back-to-back boxes and and the rest of your mythics being identical is very low indeed. Like in one in several tens of thousands. Yeah, that was clearly funky you know people would get like the same mythic or the same rare in packs and be like wow this you know this is so weird you know what are the odds of that i'm like uh actually really high like it would be more weird if you weren't duplicating but the repeats you were getting were kind of ridiculous i I saw a lot of it i had another box that was double hogak foil hogak um that had a whole bunch of twos and threes in the box in every box didn't seem like it was in that situation but there must be something hinky about the way the collation unfolds box to box, where at a certain point it gets very odd and then mm-hmm. maybe corrects itself at some other part of the process. Um, so, And the funny thing about that is you would think that that leads to very swingy boxes, where in a, in a standard set, that would mean that some boxes would just be absolute trash because they'd have a bunch of 50-cent rares in, in triplicate. But in Modern Horizons, because the pool is so deep, it doesn't tend to impact your value much. Um, I mean, certainly somebody who finds a triple force of negation box is going to be in a better position than somebody who finds a triple giver of runes. But given how many rares are already $5 plus, it was hard for that to be a real problem. The spread is a little less shallow mm-hmm. on Modern Horizons than it would be for a it's standard a, set. It's a very deep set. Like, I, I went through and did the initial... I do basically two things when I open a bunch of boxes. First, pull out all the money cards and, and price them and, and put them aside. Then I go through and pull out all the playables, stuff I might want in any format at any point in the future, and the rest is just absolute bulk trash. And that I usually give away or throw away. Um, and with a standard set, it tends to be something like 70-30 trash to keep to playable. A set like War of the Spark was higher. It might have been 40% playable, um, one of the better sets ever printed. 
But Modern Horizons is even higher. I think Modern Horizons is 60% playable, 40% unplayable. I find in most booster packs, most of the things you pull out of them, you want to keep. There's only typically only five or six cards in the pack that are just were draft oriented or intentionally weak and are just not not keepable. Yeah, war we had we kind of got spoiled, right? Like you had Dominaria, which was a legitimately powerful set. There's a lot going on in there. Then you had uh whatchamacallit, Dominaria, you had War of the Spark, you had Modern Horizons. There's a lot of juice in those sets, way above normal. And now that's like it's basically gone, right? Like you don't have it. Like I, it, I can't imagine Throne of Eldraine keeping up with that, and everything's going to feel underpowered after those sets being so good. Yeah, I, I think that's entirely true. Um, there, there are a whole bunch of fifty cent plus commons in Modern Horizons, and there's a bunch of commons that there's no way they're going to stay so low. For instance, like Fairy Seer. It's not going to stay a 25 cent card, especially if fairies post up in modern. Defile probably doesn't stay a 25 cent card. Spring Bloom, Druid is that uh, Harrow, is it? On a stick? The mm-hmm. Sack yeah. of Land, get two lands. Uh, that That's not going to stay 25 cents. I think a lot in Shenanigans, that's the Dredge, Destroy Artifact card. A lot of these commons make sense for the long term. Spore Frog, Unearth, Lava Dart. There's a lot of value at common in the set. The whole set is just so good. And people are going to play out open throne of all drain packs and we'll be like, wait, you mean every set a card in here isn't viable for modern? Like what? I don't understand the last two standard sets and also modern horizons were so good. Um, Ixadron out of time spiral foils about 10 ish bucks up to 20. Um, I wrote about this on Monday, so I assume I'm partly to blame on this, but we know that modern or commander 2019 is going to have morph as one of the mechanics and Ixadron is one of the cards that interacts with morph. It turns, turns all the creatures face over, which is kind of a cool, a cool mechanic. Uh, It's been used in commander to date as sort of a way to just neutralize people's boards. It's like almost like a blue wrath attached to a creature. It doesn't kill their creatures, but it just turns them all into face down two two creatures. And like, uh, they're probably, you know, unless they had morph on them already, they're not getting turned back over. Yeah. That's, um, that's the key point is that your opponent's creatures have no way of turning back over, but yours do. So you're going to get it, your morph value repeatedly while they're just sitting on a bunch of vanillas. Yeah. And it, you know, I think it was playable, uh, even if you weren't playing it in a morph deck simply because it was, you know, you could essentially play as a wrath, right? Like I'm going to screw up all your guys. Uh, and, you know, I know that, so I'm just not going to play my good guys into this. But now you get to rebuy your morph effects while your opponent's creatures get neutered. So now that's pretty savage. Uh, so I think that the I think this is going to get played in most of the morph decks now. How popular are Morph and these other mechanics going to be? That's hard to say. They're not mechanics you typically associate with EDH, which is going to make this. I'd be. I'll be curious to see if they can really sell these because not all of them. They don't seem like pushable commander themes, and it kind of reminds me of uh, some of the other themes I've done, where like it, it sounded cool, and then the cards were on the market, and people just like did not care. I'm not convinced that the mechanical themes that leaked are really what those decks are all about. I think that they're going to have stronger themes than that um, that we will see unfold. And I think that the why those decks matter 
right now is more about how many reprints they end up having. I think, you know, the signal that Gavin Verhey was sending out earlier this year was that they were going to, they were intentionally juicing the decks this year because people were disappointed last year. So expect to see another maybe $10 to $15 worth of value in each deck, which means that they may buy list well over some period of time. And for instance, on drop, I think you can get them for 114 with an existing account, 104 uh, with a new account, which basically means you're paying like $26 a deck, um, which if, you know, if you just want to play with them and you're collecting them, you know, one of the decks every year, then you probably just want to snap that off. Um, there's some other online deals, take a look at cool stuff, see what they've got going on, etc. Um, but I suspect pre-orders will pay off because it could be a situation where, you know, maybe one or two of those decks have really insane value and people, you know, pile in on them looking to buy list them for 60 or 70 a year or two out. Yeah, they could be good there too. It's it'll be curious to see how they handle this. Um, I ju- I just hope that they learned from, uh, what was it last year's? I think they had like a Lord Windgrace and a Minotaur because they're like, oh, we're gonna make a commander deck that's top of the library matters. And I'm like, oh, that sounds really cool. Like that's something we haven't really explored before. And I was really excited to see it. And then it was like, oh, she's she's terrible. The deck's terrible. This doesn't do anything. There's no theme here. Uh, so I'm hoping we get something a little stronger here, but you'll hear that. I hope we get something stronger here because pretty much all my picks, my article about on Monday and all my picks today are kind of centered on those as themes. So I'm assuming those are what we're going to get. All of my picks are based on those as the themes. If that's not ending up, if that doesn't, if that's not where they end up going, well then <laughs> this week rip, might not be your rip, best, rip. your best picks. Yeah. <laughs> so trade roots at a ninth edition foils from six to fourteen. That's on the back of usage in Omnath Locus of the Royal, which is one of the more popular commanders coming out of the core set. Um, then you bring lands back to your hand and replay them and so forth. Uh, it's just land shenanigans in Teamer. Blur sliver foils out of Magic twenty fourteen from two to four fifty. That's the kind of thing it's hard to make any money on. Um, but you know slivers. On the back of first liver coming out of MH1, people are building that. Um, still selling foil slivers here and there, a sliver queen here and there. Um, slivers are doing just fine. Unearth foils and a Masters 25, 650 to 16. This is one of my picks recently. The When we called it, the inventory was already draining pretty hard. Uh, cards getting played, plenty of play in modern as a four of. Um, there aren't that many foil versions around. So not surprised to see these take off as expected. Yep. Um, Ixidor Reality Sculptor, foils out of Onslaught, 10, 11, up to almost 30. Again, the Morph in Commander 2019. Um, I expect he would get, he'd be on a short list for reprints, I think, but he will obviously be like new border, probably new art. Um, so the old foils will still be pretty juicy. Uh, Cyan Una foils, uh, five bucks up to about 13. Again, the fairies in Throne of Eldrain. I hope we're saying that right, because I actually didn't really look it up. Um. Yeah. Again, okay. this is one of those. Is it because this is one of those cards that I feel like could work in? You know, we've seen <laughs> it work in modern decks already. Um, and if you're playing a fairies commander deck, you're probably going to want sign of Buna because it gives them all hexproof, which is really obnoxious, or shroud, or whichever. Um. So there's there's some real value in those types of cards. I think uh, you, you really get to play the odds. Secluded Glen foils and non foils five to thirteen. Again, the fairy excitement. Um, here's a funky one. Spectral Sailor foils out of Corset 2020, three to nine or so. Uh, this is based on the success of Mono Blue and Standard, if I understand correctly, right? Yeah. You're on that page too. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, that's not one you don't see that too often. What is that uncommon? I think. I I special sailor is a common, if I'm not mistaken. No, it's an uncommon. It's even it's even reported. I think it's like top twenty five cards or something in EDH from that set so far. That's a pretty decent hmm. little draw engine. Yeah, because he's uh, using magic of the internet to actually look what this what this card does. It's a one one uh, flash flyer that draws a card for four. Yeah, four mana draw card. I mean, this is oh, honestly this is a weird card to put in commander. Like, how often do you need to pay four mana to draw a card? And do you want it on this body, a one-one flying? But I guess if you're playing more budgety EDH, um, this is totally fine. You know, if you're not, if you don't have the stacked deck, like you know, most of us are used to playing with. Yeah, De- uh, definitely more of a standard thing than anything else. But it, you know, I'm I'm often surprised to see standard foils take off that I don't expect to. I wonder how much of it is loose speculation that doesn't pay off. Uh. Like people, people go, it? oh, this is a, this is a big deal. Like the, the mono blue deck's doing really well, but there's so many of these that non-foil. So I guess I'll grab the foils without, yeah, really, I, without really testing the waters to see if there's an unload point for those foils. Yeah, I, I am right there with you. I don't think that this is, I don't think anyone's actually going to sell this for $8 because this is like, it's like the whole point of the card is to be cheap. And if it's not cheap, then why are you playing it type of thing? Um, But meh. Uh, all right, you go, take our next one here because you're you're more familiar with it than I am. Sure. So we've got Royal Elemental out of Zendikar. This is the card when you play when a land comes into play, so landfall, um, you get to take control of a creature until Royal Elemental leaves the battlefield. Jason was talking about it um, in his content and Jason Alt. And non-foils went from a dollar fifty to about five. Um, foils significantly more than that. This is again a, a t- like an Omnath Locus of the Royal card. Team people building teamer elementals and EDH. Um, this is a nice little fit in because if you got all these lands coming into play all the time with things like trade routes, then you get to take control of as, as much stuff as you can before someone kills the Royal Elemental. So if you get a manage to get a Lightning Greaves or something on it, you could do some real work. Yeah, I really like this card in Commander. I've always thought it was kind of cool. Um, honestly, it's one of those cards that like you look at and you're like, this should be more popular and more expensive than it is, but I can't make the format move if it doesn't already want it, so I guess it's not. Uh, but I'm not surprised to finally see it having gained some, some ground. Yep. All right, so next on the list, we've got Goblin Burrows that have Onslaught foils from 340 to 10. This is people just building around goblins. Um, uh, we had Krenko recently, um, and there was a there was other another goblin lord in Dominaria, and we've gotten all sorts of new goblin goodies in Modern Horizons. We mentioned Goblin Matron earlier, so not a huge surprise to see the original version of Goblin Burrows foils uh, showing some motion. Misform Ultimus out of Legions foils going from five to twenty. This form Ultimus can basically be any tribal type. Um, so people thinking about tribal themes have probably pushed this over the edge. It's also just a super old foil. So Yeah, and it's also kind of a gimmick card too. Like you have that going for it. So it's, it's got a couple angles, but uh, my guess is is the tribal play. Um, Dream Chisel out of Onslaught foils and non-foils. These are the non-foils. About 50 cents to like 250 um you, you know i think you'll be able to sell them at that price i'm not sure 
that it will have been worth your time, uh, but you'll probably get away with it. It's got no other printings, um, and everyone who builds a morph deck is going to want this card. Does seem like the type of card they could put in, uh, but maybe not. Maybe they'll leave that as a as an open slot, as an unreprinted card because it's inexpensive otherwise, um, and they can use the spots to do something else in the deck. You know, either a reprint or a new card. If the deck catches on, the foils were certainly the play because we're unlikely to see those in the decks. Oh yeah, the foils were were the right were the best way to go with it, but I don't think there were that many on the market to begin with, and there's a lot less now. This next one is a good example of a much more loose uh, fairy-based spec. Willow Priestess out of Homelands, <laughs> a set we don't often see on our top movers list. <laughs> Take this is a two-two for two and two green. Take a fairy from your hand and put it directly into play as though it were just summoned. Two and a green, target green creature gains protection from black until end of turn. Uh, this is not where I want to be heading into fairy previews. Um, but if we do get a bunch of green fairies <clears throat> and it goes deep enough, then this could show up in the EDH deck. I got to say, this is about as bad of a spec as you could reasonably pick, I feel like. I mean, like... Is this this is really stretching it. <laughs> the, the thing about cards that tap to put things into play is you generally want to do that with something really, really big that you can't can't normally afford at that stage in the game. Fairies as a tribe tend to be undercosted, as we mentioned earlier. So playing a four casting cost two two so you can put some other fairy into play, especially given that many of them have flash already, um, that doesn't seem like where you want to be. No, it's uh, it's a curious one. Then again, I mean, would they pay a dollar for them? Like they don't have to, it doesn't have to be that good for them to to have gotten away with it, uh, especially if for some unfathomable reason the fairy lord is gigantic or, you know, they the print is like, some say, like say mega some, fairy. <clears throat> say somebody buys 100 copies of that. They're not going to be selling them as four ofs because this is not a modern legal card. So you're selling them one by one into commander decks. Yeah. And this isn't the kind, this is so specific, like people don't have, people might buy 20 copies of Soul Ring for 20 decks, but they're not going to have 20 Willow Priestess for 20 decks. So if they know how to live their life, they do. It's a one per household Willow Priestess scenario, (laughs) which means it's one of those plays for Commander where you really want to be buy listing. And unfortunately, buy list support is only at 98 cents. So if you bought a dollar, currently you're just about even, which is, if you're doing a lot of buy listing, that's basically zero risk minus your time. But... I somehow doubt that the buy list is going to jump to three or four on this. Yeah. Uh, a specious choice, if I've se- if we've seen one before on our list. Um, Monomaze out of Invasion, foils and non-foils. The non-foils, two bucks to eight. This is a, a cute little combo with Painter Servant. This is the type of thing I was talking about like last yeah. week and in one of my articles. Like, sure, you find the Painter, Stone grind, Painter Servant grindstone cards right away, but then where do you go after that? And it's the people who like spot those that are really going to be the ones who get to grab something juicy. Well, here it is. Um, Monomaze is an enchantment that kind of sits there and screws with people because of Painter Servant, um, and it just took people a couple days to find it. Uh, but you will most likely get paid on this, I would say. Yep, seems seems solid. Uh, quiet speculation foils out of judgment, dollar fifty to ten dollars. People assuming flashback is a big enough deal 
in this Commander 2019 theme deck that people will choose to upgrade the Quiet Speculation to a foil copy. It's not quite flashy enough to want me to be very deep on that. Yeah, aren't there? There's a couple of prints of this too, right? Like, there's more than just a Judgment One. This is the original foil, of course, but there's a few versions of it. This uh, EMA. Oh no, I think back EMA is the only other version of it. Uh, it also has some amount of gimmick associated with it, based on its I mean, name. It's but. it's if people got in under dollar fifty, it's basically buy list backed. But again, not the kind of thing I want to be very deep on. Um, fairy harbinger same kind of thing at a lower win this is the one that lets you search up any fairy and put it on top of your deck uh yeah yeah it's like a flash flying tutors for a fairy type of deal i did buy a couple of these foils uh in europe because they were particularly cheap but like strictly limited myself to i think two or three (laughs) yeah and and only because it seemed to have the biggest upside for edh where whatever your great fairies are that you are going to be playing in this imaginary fairy commander deck, you might want to go pull out an Una or whatever you're doing. Um, and Lorman's foils are pretty hard to come by in general. So I think this is one of the few things I picked up that's related to this theme. Yeah, I grabbed a, a couple more than you, it sounds like. Although I don't know if I grabbed any fairy harbingers. Um, you know, I was kind of limited by the fact that most places did not have like 40 of this or anything in stock. Um, they might have had 40 willow priestesses. Um, yeah. But it, it, you, it, was, it, was, it was tough to go super deep on any of the fairy stuff, honestly. Uh, just because no one's got a pile of them sitting around. Okay, um, so for Catalyst Stone here, was the 50 to 550 the foils or the non-foils? non-foils all the ones that were foil and non-foil i put the non-foil price on i mean it's i think it has it has the same kind of chance as dream chisel of just getting printed into these decks so i'm not loving it not loving the non-foils the foils are probably fine if you picked up one or two you'll probably get out of them during the hype cycle this is not a mcdonald's burger i'm not loving it sure all right moving right along to cards that was our ad campaign i'm loving it yeah yeah i just wanted to make sure you got it okay on top just making sure okay (laughs) McDonald's. All right. Cards we do love. Cards to watch. Uh, I have a theme that is very unusual for me. All non-foil cards. Four picks. None of them foil. That is remarkably uncommon. That might be the first time either of us have ever done that. Yep. And the reason for that is I'm a little sketched out by the increased drop rate of foils in uh, Magic 2020. Um I do suspect that the increased drop rate is in many ways balanced out by the relatively limited print run of that set and the fact that um, Magic Online Redemption is significantly reduced as a factor these days since now it is both a shorter window of opportunity, it's only a few months, uh, and there are less people playing Magic Online since so many people have moved over to Arena for draft and standard. Um so it might be that my react like my fear of 2020 foils is going to be more relevant when we get to Eldraine, where you know a fall set biggest print run of the year, uh, a higher drop rate of foils if that is confirmed will be a bigger deal and will further scare me off foils and we'll talk about some other reasons to be worried about extra foils for that set when we get to segment four, um, but for now I'm looking at the cards in the core set that either seem to have a good chance of getting there in standard or in the next year, which is all 
you know, all the time they get to get there, or just feel like they are either going to rebound or be unique effects that people are going to want in multiple formats down the road. So to kick things off, Cavalier of Night was the mythic that I flagged that might be most undervalued. Cavalier of Night at $4 to say go to $8 within the next year. Um, those th- The Cavaliers just feel like massive plants that they're expecting people to be playing with. We've already seen Cavalier of Thorns do a lot of work in this version of Standard uh, pre-rotation. And if you believe that we're going to Theros in the spring and you believe that we're getting Knights, uh, a bunch of Knight-specific cards in Eldraine, then the fact that it is a elemental and a knight and has three black pips on it and has a whole bunch of value engine mechanics built onto it um, leads me to believe that you will see additional decks beyond the 5-0 decks that have already used this as a 4 of and standard that will pop up either this fall or in the winter. I, You know, you really could have put any Cavalier here and I would have been inclined to agree with you. Um, we, When you were here the other night, we talked very briefly about the set coming up and how you know the the general theme that we had in mind at the time um and i think that really the play on the cavaliers is to just kind of wait let them get wait till like late august mid-september you really want to hit these before the spoilers start um because that's you know that's before the the excitement and the hype gets going um but once you're basically you're trying to target these it's the lowest point they could possibly be uh, which i think is probably late august mid early september Uh, but it does seem like one of them is going to to pop based on uh play in the throne of aldrian standard so i'm definitely on board with, with pretty much any of them really and the fact that you have theros on the horizon makes that look good too um this one also happens to be good a lot of reasons to go with it uh, yeah, and I think your timing is on on point there too. Some somewhere around when pros start dropping theoretical deck lists for the new standard is where you probably want to have these in your cart. Like at four bucks, I think they're a relatively safe play, especially if you think you want to play with them. Um, and if you see a coupon that knocks them down to say three fifty or three dollars, all the better. Feel free to pick a few sets up, but hold off going deep until you see which of the Cavaliers um, look best positioned based on the things that unfold in the hype cycle for Throne of Eldrin. Um, it's the kind of card I just want to have in a cart ready to go. I'm not going to go deep on it now, but I, I think I bought eight copies from uh, Card Kingdom on credit for four bucks a piece the other day and said, okay, that's as deep as I want for, for the time being. I'd throw another 20 in a card if somebody gave me a good reason to. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, my first pick of the week is Increasing Vengeance. Um, it's uh, So again, I'm going to reiterate all my picks are based on the foretold Commander Precons. So Increasing Vengeance is based on Flashback as a potential... Re- uh, potential returning theme here increasing vengeance is the uh it's a two mana instant it's from dark ascension it copies an instant or sorcery you control so it's fork if it was cast from your graveyard if you paid the flashback spell cost you copy it twice and the flashback is five mana so for five mana you get to double a spell um and then of course if you've got anything else going on it gets kind of silly um this is a I thought a, I thought a surprisingly large amount of uh, play in about 4,000 EDA truck decks. I would not have guessed this to be that popular. So there's already uh, attention on this card with it not being 
uh, with, that, with the flashback not being really a supported commander theme yet. Um, and once you add that commander theme, you're, you're going to see that demand hopefully drive um, because it's going to be a very cool flashback card. So the foils right now are about four bucks. Um, supply is quite low, if I recall. Yeah, there are uh, eight copies on TCG Player right now near mint foils. There are no other printings of this card. Um, so this is kind of like cheating, but like clearly there's not much out there to begin with. Uh, the shipping costs will kill you on a couple of them. Um, but with flashback on the horizon, it just seems very likely that a card that with flashback that's already quite popular uh, will be getting some some additional support here. Yeah, I'm so, I, I really want to see more information about Commander 2019 before I jump jump into these mechanic style specs even the foils because i'm just i'm worried that people won't be entranced enough by the the premise of upgrading these spells to foil to get them out the door but we need to see what you know the three commander options are on each deck and how exciting they are um because if there's a just a fantastic looking commander that's of a particularly high power level with a fairly unique um, set of abilities that pulls people in a completely new direction and gives people a reason to build a completely different kind of deck and it becomes very popular then you know, and there's usually one or two of those per set these days then very easily these things could work out and you know probably you're fine on being buy list backed you know a couple weeks into the hype cycle so i don't want to be 20 copies deep on stuff like increasing vengeance but i'd be happy to have two three four foils sitting around ready to go sure i think that's that's fair. I wouldn't buy more than five or six myself. All right. My next pick is Leyline of Anticipation. Uh, I think you're looking at the long haul here, um, but the the M2020 copies are three bucks or so. If you can you know, wait on a discount coupon or a sale of some kind, get them a little lower down to 250 I think you, you look to exit these at six bucks probably, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half down the road. It's in 7,000 plus reported decks in EDH rec. Um, and there's a gap between the price of the newer version and the older version, the original version from, I think, uh, Magic 2011, um, which should close over time, especially given that the art of the ley lines in the new set, is, I think, is clearly superior to the originals. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is just a really solid Vidalcan uh, Ori type card uh, for Commander that is more specific to blue decks, gives you the same benefits of being able to play everything at instant speed. And don't think it's going to be, you know, the kind of, if you're the kind of person that is prioritizing specs, you can get in and out of in six weeks. This is not your pick. But if you are a kickback and wait for your kind of armchair investor, this could be perfect. I am the type of person, we used to do a lot of long-term specs. This used to be gold. Um, the Dictative yeah. Erebus is that Jason was famous for. Um, is exactly the type of thing. It'd be like, you would always buy cards. Um, you never had the expectation that you were going to sell them in six months or like very rarely, but you, you pretty much were like, oh, I'm going to pick these up now and then in two years will be great. And you just tried to build a portfolio of that. Yeah. So every couple months, something from a few years ago was popping. Well, the market's changed. Um, but that doesn't mean that these opportunities aren't still out there and they aren't still viable. And I think this is a good example of one where you can get them cheap. You picked up, by, these are the perfect card you pick up and trade when you have like some hot new standard card that you want to get rid of. Um, and you, you know, everyone has a smartphone, so you're trading at equal dollar values, but where do you get your edges? Well, you look for stuff like this because this is gold. 
Um, it might not be $10 tomorrow, it might not be $10 this year, or even next year, but you know that that price is going to start cranking up. And then a couple years later, you've got, you know, a nice little stack of these and they've all doubled up. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, it, it might not be the fastest spec. Uh, it's probably the slowest spec on here, I'm guessing, but it's still almost a hard lock. And given and that we got 20 a- being such a short print run too. And given that we got all the relevant ley lines all at the same time, they're they're now back off the table for years. I mean, they had they waited nine years between the last printings. Yeah, yeah, they were not in a rush on those. All right, what's your next pick? Well, first, I have to finish yawning. Um, okay, so increasing vengeance was flashback. This one is morph. We are talking about backslide. Uh, all of you aggressive inline skaters out there are familiar with this term, but this is not a cool trick that you did on your, your Dirks or your C, C, C15s, wow. C5s. Datedsportsreferences.com. Uh, yeah, extremely 90s right here. Um, backslide is a two mana instant that turns a creature with morph face down. So you pop your morph creature face up, you get its bonuses, and then you backslide to turn it back face down so you can do it again. Again, another card that's very likely to find its way into any deck that plays morph because it just lets you rebuy your already good morph cards. Um, and it cycles if you catch it at a bad time. Uh, generally, it's a, it's a common, typically not the type of stuff I'd be too eager to get in on the train on, but you know, I would expect to see foils go from like 50, you know, they're 50 cents right now. If this was a shadows over in a strong card, I would be like, yeah, you might get two or three bucks out of it. So maybe you buy it 50 cents, you buy it, you buy it, get in at 50 cents, buy less at a dollar. Yeah, okay. That's fine. But this is an onslaught common. So there are very few of these, like this is old. The supply on this is very low just by like, not even just on the market, just by virtue of it being an onslaught card supply is low. So over on TCG, it looks like there's about 20 vendors right now. I don't think anyone has too deep of a stock. Uh, and I, I don't think this is a card is on anyone's radar at the moment. Uh, but I still think that, you know, if you're paying 30 to 50 to 60 cents a piece, they could get, I think they could be $5. Um, so, you know, you don't want to be trying to sell 40 of these, but if you bought 10, if you pay five bucks for 10 of them and you get to sell them for five bucks after profit, uh, I don't think that's too bad. It's a nice dinner out for not too much work. Yep. Pretty similar to the first pick. And I feel pretty much the same about it. Uh, like a little more information before I jump all over it. Um, and I think others like yourself may be ahead of me, so I'll probably just end up waiting and seeing how it turns out. Yeah. All right. Here's another card from Magic 2020 that I think is, <laughs> I'd be very surprised if this doesn't get there. Um, this is my like broken artifact of the set. This is like the Panharmonicon level spec for Magic 2020 in my eyes. Um, a card that doesn't didn't do much at all in standard when it was present, and so it was very cheap for a while, and then just became a mega staple in in commander. And then they print Yarok, and then you definitely want one in there, and away it goes. Mystic Forge is such a busted looking magic card. This is the one where if you have colorless or artifact cards on top of your deck, you get to play them off the top of your deck, and then you, it's got the added ability of clearing the top of the deck by paying one life. Um, these kind of forecasting cost engine cards have done work in standard and they do work in commander a little too expensive for modern, but maybe it shows up there because artifact and colorless is the most busted 
um, set of cards and in, in modern um you know, if you think about decks like uh, Affinity, they've already started experimenting with running this and are running it, I think, sometimes as a two of. Um, and it's not hard to imagine a egg-style deck or something that's, like, churning through a bunch of low cast and cost artifacts really quickly um, with this thing to just, like, fill it, like, drop a whole bunch of cards on the board really quick and get aggressive or to set up some kind of combo turn. And they're currently available for $2. This is a short print run set. The card is going to see tons of play in EDH over time. Um, you know, it definitely goes into my Brea deck and any other artifact-specific commander is going to want this. And two to six in, say, 12 to 18 months seems to make perfect sense to me. Yeah, I mean, really, I'm always happy to buy uh, busted-looking combo deck cards. Uh, you know, we thought that... Oh, uh, Aetherflux Reservoir, I would say, was roughly in the same boat. It's kind of this weird combo deck card. You weren't exactly sure where it would be useful, uh, but you didn't have to be sure because someone was going to find a way to make it work, and they did, and now it's several dollars. You know, it's, it's valuable. It's, it's gone up, so you made money there, um, and I, I'd be kind of shocked if this didn't do the same thing at some point. Really, the, the only question is, will somebody figure it out before this gets a reprint because every now and then they kind of get you with the reprints and the bad timing uh but i don't think you really have to be all that worried about it so this is probably just straight straight money in the bank my my goal here is to try to find a cache of 60 80 100 copies at say a buck 50 a piece and then mm -hmm. sit on them for a year to two years and then buy right. them for three plus as the part of whatever the monthly buy list is and try to lock down that sweet sweet 100 percent plus roi Whenever you're looking at specs and you find some store that has, you know, a hundred of them or whatever, it's so nice. You're like, yes, I will gladly pay the extra 20 cents a copy or whatever to not have to like go search for them to, you know, dig through all the mail. I can put one order and just be done with it. Yeah. I'm a fan all of right. those. Your final pick of the week. Uh, so the other two, this one is, uh, is morph as well, actually, uh, cause I spotted this and thought, Hey, you know what? That one also looks solid. This is, uh, Natuku Vigilante, um, another common this time from legions instead of dark ascension or, uh, instead of onslaught it is, uh, foils are a dollar right now. This is also only one printing. I find it unlikely it won't show up in every single morph deck. Um, it's when you, when you flip it up, it destroys an artifact or enchantment. So it's exactly the type of value card that you need out of those strategies. Um, you know, they're always looking for ways to answer those types of cards. And this is going to be on theme, um, and give you those outs again, really low supply. You're going to have a sudden burst of attention on the card. Um, it's a great type of card to turn back over and then pop again. Um, uh, so basically the same thing as backslide. The only question here is whether the morph decks include green. But I, it seems like they should, right? Because Khan's block has a bunch of morph-related cards that where a lot of the good reprints there are green, yes? Yeah, if they don't include green, I would be surprised. Like, green is definitely, I would say reasonably associated with morph. I mean, all the morph cards and cons, it was green-centered. You had uh, Death Mist Raptor. You had Wildwood Elemental. Like all yeah. three enchantments that paid you for having more creatures yeah. were green. Or green or green blue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense. So I think this is pretty safe. They, I mean, snapping these off at two and hoping to get out at five or six, you know, isn't really all that exciting. But hopefully the buy list will get you to three or four and that'll be your exit. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. You know, the commander 
specs I think are always they're always fine. Like every year I've got a list of them that I think are are well positioned and I never know. It always seems like you're going to do okay with them, I should mm-hmm. say. All right, my next pick here is probably the more what, the most controversial just on the basis that it's an uncommon. Uh, Field of the Dead just won a GP in the hands of Louis Scott Vargas. Congratulations to LSV for continuing to dominate Magic, even though he's not even really a full-time player these days. Um, and that's on the back of Scape Shift being present, which is going to rotate in six weeks, um, or I guess two months. Yeah, two months. Um, so it's going to do some work in standard for a couple months. And then the question is, does Field of the Dead have a future elsewhere? But Field of the Dead is already showing up in EDH decks. It might find a home in modern. Um, I think Amulet Titan's already experimenting with running at least a single copy. Um, that doesn't get me super excited. But I think as another long-term hold to get these un- you know, $1.50 to $2 and out somewhere between $3 and $5 further down the road, it's a very unique effect that I think a lot of people are underestimating. It basically has the capability to drop in, especially in commander where you can get a whole bunch of lands back in a variety of different ways and then dump a bunch of different lands into your battlefield. And you can still play things like scape shift and a bunch of other cards that will dump lands into the battlefield on uh, mass. The doesn't seem like a big deal that it makes zombies, but it can allow you to combo off in a variety of interesting ways. So this one just is on my radar as a, if I see an opportunistic, you know, chance to pick these up sub $2, again, similar to Mystic Forge in the $1.50 range, I think just given that Mystic Forge is a rare versus the uncommon status, probably prioritize Mystic Forge to a greater degree, but Field of the Dead doesn't have super deep inventory right now because of how well it's doing in standard. You know, there's only 62 results for an uncommon from a a set that's approaching peak supply, that's weird. And it doesn't take very long for the current copies around $2 to push to five or six on TCG player. So it's possible this is just about to turn the corner and you are supposed to just go in right now and ride through the next couple months of standard. All right. So I, I don't, this is a, a rare instance where I like sort of disagree. And it's not that I think it's a bad pick. I, I, I think, I don't think the card's that good. Um, I remember when it came out, people were talking about it, and I, I've just, I was, I haven't been struck by it at all. Um, so this could be a case of my stubborn belief that the card isn't good, getting in the way of it being a good spec because other people will try it and might make it work and so forth. So I don't, I don't love it. But that's because I don't think the card's good, but I could be wrong on that. So, like, I'm not going to give you a hard time about that. Sometimes when a card is relatively low power level, one of the risks is that as rotation comes and the deck falls apart, it may have a chance to reform. But if it's the lowest uh, rank on the totem pole, some other card just replaces it and knocks it out of the deck list completely. That's not the kind of thing that's likely to happen with Field of the Dead because it is such a specific effect. So in standard, the problem is that um, scape shift is rotating, but I think it might get there in the short term. If you want to make a risky play, you could pick some of these up at two and hope to out them at four or five. Maybe if you're going on, if you know you're headed to a GP floor, like in a week or two, you might be looking to snap 20 copies up now and then dump them on a dealer that needs them because people are showing up trying to build the deck that just want a GP. Um, 
if you're going for the longer term play, I think you've got plenty of time to wait and see what happens at rotation. Because if the deck falls apart in standard, as it may entirely do, then these could get real cheap. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, if you're talking about grabbing these at 75 cents, I'm more inclined to like it because your risk is lower. I also think, you know, part of the fact that this is uh, so low inventory right now is because LSV won a GP with it this weekend. So definitely a lot of attention on the card now that won't be there in like two months, most likely, right? Especially not in October when everything rotates. Yeah. Mm. But you could still do a lot better with this than I do with backslide. So <laughs> I, I'm i going to probably sit on the sidelines and feel the dead just because there's so much else going on. I did pick up a few foils in Europe that were too cheap. It just has a longer term play. But again, with the 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 additional foils in the set i don't want to be too deep there either so i'm just going to keep an eye on it i'm curious as a case study to see what happens with this card over the next six to eight weeks mm-hmm. and then sure, and sure. then figure out if it's gonna because if it doesn't if it just falls off the table completely in standard it may fall down to like you said 50 cents to 75 cents in which case i'd be you know happy to pick up 20 or 30 copies yep yep okay uh segment three our metagame we can review um the big story is LSV winning GP Denver? Um, frankly, I would say the big story there is not LSV winning GP Denver. It's that Denver had 650 players, and the last four GP Denvers, like it was like 600 or something. Like the the player count for the last four GPs in Denver have basically just been a straight line down. Uh, but setting that aside, uh, Scapeshift had a big win this weekend, especially when it, we weren't sure if the deck was actually good. And then LSV is like, hey, watch this. Um, so Field of the Dead, obviously, people remembered Scapeshift is still a good card. Uh, overall, it's fun. Um, but, you know, we are now in the middle of July, and I don't think anyone cares about Standard other than the 600 people that went to GP Denver. Here, There's a couple of things to discuss there. Uh, first of all, Field of the Dead is not an uncommon. <laughs> I just checked. It's a rare. So I feel differently about it now. Um, I feel... I, I had my confidence level at like a seven on that card. I'll bump it up to an eight. Um, it's a four of in the deck, and there is still two months left in the format, and people are showing up and playing Standard. Um, so it might turn the corner and hit five or six and be interesting to see from the sidelines. The I made a snarky remark about the GPs not doing well uh, in our Discord and was quickly corrected. People were pointing out that though main events are definitely in free fall because uh, grinders don't have anywhere near as much reason to be pursuing pro points and so forth through that system, side events have picked up a lot of the slack. So it's not like that the events are not doing well. It's just that the distrib- distribution between the main event and the side events is reorganizing itself um, over time. So I would still call into question whether GPs on the whole are down some percentage, but it might, might not be as bad as it, as it seems looking at the main event figures. Well, I, I mean, I, I guess so. And that, you know, kind of pushes us towards magic as a... GPs as a con- as a mini convention rather than as a tournament. Right. Although I don't, I still don't love. You know that has its implications, right? Because now you're moving away from competitive magic 
you're you're removing the importance of competitive magic essentially um which is going to have dramatic impacts across the board on like card prices and whatever is popular and, and all it, that good stuff and it also opens up the, i think when more people are motivated to not play the main event it opens up the question about whether channel fireball captures as much of their wallet as they would have in the old model that was tried and true for many years so if you have a sealed event and they're charging 60 or 70 dollars or something for the main event um, versus say you play a draft and then go so spend some money at the vendors and that money doesn't go into Channel Fireball's pockets, then could potentially be a different situation. I'm very curious to see when Channel Fireball announces the next year's worth of stuff, whether it seems as though they're pulling back from the GP circuit or it's business as usual, or there is some kind of growth and evolution. Um, and part of that, I'm sure, is going to depend on how you know, what wizard strategy for competitive play looks like going into 2020. Um, I mean, I'm glad I'm not a grinder. Let's put it that way. Um, but going back to LSV's uh, Bant Scapeshift deck, I mean, Scapeshift has been, has done work in multiple formats um, with multiple different deck lists at this point. This one was for Arboreal Grazer, for Elvish Rejuvenator, for Hydroid Crassus, one last big hurrah for that card. For Circuitous Root... Oh, wait, that's not even Last Hurrah. That's a Ravnica card from last fall. That might still be around for the better part of a good year. S- S- second Hurrah. Second Hurrah. For Circuitous Root, two Growth from the Ashes, four Growth Spiral. Love that card. Two Prison Realm, four Scape Shift, four Teferi Time Raveler. Um, and then a 28 lands. I mean, I look at this deck and I just it doesn't seem that threatening. But... Maybe I would understand it, stand it better if there had been video coverage where I could have watched LSV put it to work. How dare you want to watch possibly the best player playing Magic today? Uh, How dare I? Cast Magic cards. Cast cool Magic cards. Because now I'm, oh, I'm well. going to have to look up somebody's YouTube video where they're playing the deck to explain yep. how it works, which I'm sure there is plenty of. Oh, yeah, by this point. Yeah, I don't know. It was nifty. It's fine. Uh, I mean, the wind condition is, is field is of the dead. Is the, the wind condition is field of the dead. That's the point, right? Like it drops a whole ton of zombie tokens into play by having a whole bunch of different kinds of lands and replacing them and overwhelming the opponent with zombie tokens. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Cool standard deck. I'm I am unimpressed. I am unimpressed. LSV. So in the top know. eight, there was three other Bant Scapeshift lists, as well as a yeah. copy of Boros Feather, Jeskai Super Friends, Orsav, Vampires, and Simic Nexus. So even if you believe it is not, it is only the deck de jour, it, that is a dominant performance for the weekend. Sure, sure. I I do not, do not uh, question its success here at all. All right. So there's also a whole bunch of interesting 5-0 lists from this week, as per usual. Um, one of the ones that jumped out at me was the one that had Lesser Masticore in it. Uh, this is a weird deck. Four Anathenza Kintry Spirit, four Kitchen Finks, four Lesser Masticore, which is the uncommon from Modern Horizons. Two for a 2-2 as an additional cost to cast the spell, discard a card. For four, it deals one damage to target creature, and it has Persist. So this deck has a bunch of Persist creatures. It has Anathenza Kintree Spirit, Altar of Dementia, Blasting Station, and Solemnity. And it is basically leveraging the whole creatures not being able to have counters put on them 
to do to basically go infinite with blasting station is that the deal um i think so can you give me the link for this so that i can look at the list uh indeed i can sir uh one second There you go. So I guess what's happening here is you have an altar of dimension play, you have a blasting station. So you can sack creatures and blasting station says sack a creature, blasting station deals one damage to target creature or player. And whenever a creature comes into play, you untap it. So they die, but they can't get the persist counter um, and the way persist works is if the creature dies and it doesn't have the counter, you return it to the battlefield. So you're sacking it, it dies, you get it back, but because it didn't have the counter, you get to sack it over and over and over again. And you just you basically destroy, do infinite damage with Blasting Station. So your comp it's basically any persist creature plus either Anathenza or Solemnity, and then either Alter or Blasting Station is my read. Yeah. So this is basically a, 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 a redundant two-card combo deck. You have uh, three you card have combo. Two, uh, yeah, okay. Three, yes, redundant three card combo deck was where if, you know you have a couple different pieces, very variations of each piece, and as long as you get one of each piece in play, your opponent's dead. I don't, I don't love it. This runs on getting lucky, right? Like if you just draw the wrong two thirds of your deck, you do literal nothing. Um, but, but I guess alter you do dimensions have the part London of that. Mulligan rule in play now. Right, that's true. It's the London Mulligan rule helps, but your opponents have it too, and like one good piece of spot removal or one sweeper, and you're in trouble. I mean, I think the but. question heading into this uh, Pro Tour in Barcelona this weekend, which is a modern event, modern plus draft event, is the the question of whether non combo decks that don't benefit as much from being able to sculpt their hand are going to be able to make it to the podium. Um, you know, make it to the top eight, top 16 in significant numbers in a world where things like, you know, Neoform uh, combo decks and Tron and, um, you know, the combo decks that rely on finding specific cards seem better positioned in that environment. And this weekend will prove out how much, to what degree that is true. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how Barcelona plays out and not even it. I, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated by what this holds has in store for us um, so, to see them really put the London Mulligan to the test again. Yeah. So check out the list at the bottom of that page. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. List. I just want to bring the light. I just want to bring the light list. I don't want to look any further than that. I mean, those uh, are, those are, we've already talked about those. They're, they're already putting up five of those every week. Uh, so the consistency is, in, is interesting, um, but you can't not talk about the Brineborn Cutthroat deck. This is a 2-1 Merfolk Pirate out of Magic 2020 for one and a blue with flash, and whenever you cast a spell during an opponent's turn, you put a plus one plus one counter on it. <laughs> and this deck is four Brineborn Cutthroat, three Huntmaster of the Fells, and four Snapcaster Mage, and then 26 instants in Teamer the Colors. The Huntmaster of the Fells is really a stroke of genius. I feel like that card isn't isn't even like that good in the list as much as he's just showing off. He's like, look at me, I can play Huntmaster of the Fells, and it's okay. 
It doesn't hurt me. <laughs> I, I don't understand the Brian Bourne cutthroat thing. It's like a blue Tarmogoyth in this list. Is that the deal? I guess if you if you assume that you are going to cast every single spell on your opponent's turn, uh, I mean, you can play them on two, untap, pass. On turn three, you cast two to three spells on their turn. So he becomes like a 3-3 three, three, or 4-4 four, four on turn well, he, three. He's a 2-1, so he becomes a 3-2, 4-3, 5-4. Yeah, but you still. I mean, like, it's all that effort for a five-four. You don't just want to be running like Death Shadow or Delver or something in this kind of a list. Well, I assume it's not the first turn that you get paid; it's the second turn. Like if you cast him on turn two, then on turn three you play spells on your opponent's turn, and then on turn four you play spells on your opponent's turn. Well, I mean, he well, has now is like an eight-nine. Well, he has flash, so the assumption here is you're also playing him on your opponent's turn. And oh then, yeah, well. It, it, and it, you know, you you're leaving up mana to counter what they're doing, or mess with them in whatever way you need to. You've got lightning bolts and magmatic sinkholes. You got cryptic commands and archmage's charm. You got a lot of like interesting answers. You got pulse of morassa against burn decks, um, spell snares and thought scours. So you're doing, you're playing, you know, untap go kind of magic, and then eventually when you've got a preponderance, you drop one of these threats and try to defend it. Uh, I mean, maybe they're playing protect the protect the king type of a game mm-hmm. where you wait till turn four or five to cast this. And then, you know, you have you want you protect it and you cast a bunch of, you know, thought scours and crap and ops on your opponent's turn. And then you just untap with a seven six and start swinging. I mean, that one is, that way too. is an uncommon, in fact, so I'm not going to be chasing it. Hmm. Um, that could be a mythic rare and I would not be chasing it. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another list that's interesting. People have been playing the Jun builds where it was Liliana the Veil alongside Renin 6. Here's a list that went in the uh, Abzan direction. Two Liliana the Veil, two Sarah the Benevolent, Dark Confidant, four Death Shadow, four Ranger Captain of Eos, four Street Wraith, four Tarmogoyf, Inquisitions, Maelstrom Pulse, Thoughtseize, Unearth, Abrupt Decay, Assassin's Trophy, Fatal Push, Path to Exile, and Mishra's Bauble. So it's like Abzan mid-range meets Death Shadow. Uh, okay, I can buy it. The Sarah is the Planeswalker, right? Yeah, and that's that's the one I'm having trouble understanding where what the, the specific synergy is. Her plus two is creatures you control with flying at plus one, plus one until end of turn, but the deck has no flyers. So you're just playing her as a Sarah Angel token generator that could potentially do it multiple times. I mean, it's not the worst. It is sort of odd to compare with like Elspeth Knight Errant. It's also it's possible it, it was just supposed to just be Elspeth, but they wanted to play with their Sarahs. I mean, her other her other thing is that she generates a worship if you can go tick her up once and then ticker give her the minus six you basically get worship emblem um which to me to my mind would be more interesting in something like tokens or um the you know even the persist combo style decks like she could be an alt win condition in the sense that just locks your opponent out from winning the game as long as you have one of your persist creatures in play and every time they try to kill it it just comes back anyway um this this list is confusing me i don't have an answer for you uh, <laughs> whole bunch of o- only God and the pilot now. Whole bunch of Eldrazi decks in here. There's another one of these that Bant bring to light list you were talking about with the Teferi Time Raveler and Renin Sixes. 
Um, There's a Soul Flayer deck in here. <laughs> is there really? Yeah. Yeah. It's got Zatalpa Z- Z- Primal Dawn, one of the big-ass dinosaurs from Ixalan that has Flying, Double Strike, Vigilance, Trample, and Indestructible. <laughs> so you just get Keyword Soup on that guy for your Soul Flayer, some Collector Brutality. Uh, that's really the only... The only amusing thing, I don't. There's nothing. There's nothing here with this deck. Like, there's no way this is good, but it's funny to see. By the way, there's one Hauser at the Fervent in here, which on the Gatherer website shows up as a invocation, which reminds me of a little blurb we caught today. Rosewater posted on Tumblr that originally we weren't supposed to realize that the invocations were legible. Oh yeah, yeah they were yeah. just supposed to look like glyphs, <laughs> and the Easter egg was that we were supposed to read them. I I cannot wrap my head around <laughs> the the arrogance <sighs> the, to think that people were going to look at these and not realize that they could read them. Like that, this is like saying like an Easter egg that we were going to find within nine seconds of looking at the card. As a designer, that sounds like the biggest load of BS I've ever heard, and undermines for me. And if it's true, if it's not. BS, but they actually thought that, then it's just one of the many reasons I don't trust the top level, the top down art direction within that team. They, they've made many questionable decisions, some excellent ones as well. Um, but we're going to get to another one shortly <laughs> that was very dubious. Um, here's a snippet that people have been posting on social media today um, to shift gears a little bit, giving people some background that might be useful in figuring out what we are facing or likely to get on Eldrain, because apparently it showed up in one of the old magic books, uh, a book called Planeswalker, one of the novels. Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you for just a moment before you go any further. Did you pull this from Carrie's Twitter feed? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I'm enjoying this. Carrie does this with every announcement. He photoshops something like this to get people. Oh, so this is BS. And, and it, this is BS. Like okay, when good. The, I'm glad when, you pointed that when out we before were, I made a fool of myself. Thank you. Yeah. W- when we were at War of the Spark and there was that one planeswalker who had the 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 mysterious planeswalker that you thought might be Ugin, uh, Carrie posted a page from, quote unquote, an old magic book. And it was like Urza had died and like his dead body was in Jer- Gerard's hands, and then he's like, and then the eyes opened up, and he said, "Next time, my hat might not even be straw." And then he was really dead. Uh, he, yeah, he's 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 really good at those. He gets people every time. Uh, bravo, Carrie. I have had to double take on some of them occasionally because I didn't realize who it came from. You know, I was read I was uh, reading through it as we were prepping, and I was thinking, like, I know I read this novel, but I do not remember any of this mm-hmm. at all but i'm like well you know the novels were kind of forgettable like whatever all right so moving mm-hmm. right along then <laughs> well i just i just want to ask do you think it's better is it better or worse if wizards thinks you're dumb enough that you wouldn't be able to read the card or just blatantly lied about it after the fact like wh- which is the better scenario there um, they're they're incompetent <laughs> at design in one case and incompetent at pr in the other so it just depends on <laughs> Which one is more important to you? Um, I think as the average player, you probably care more about design than you care about their, you know, PR handling quality since they make so many mistakes on the, you know, community handling side of things that most players are probably just used to it at this point. Um, you know, I, I, I will I, I really, say, I, 
I think generally they're pretty good from a PR standpoint. Um, you know, they really try and listen to people. Uh, you know, I guess I'm comparing this to other corporations that tend to do a really bad job of it. And game companies especially do a really bad job of it. Uh, so Wizards is typically on top of things. But if they said, hey, we, we don't want to own up to the fact that uh, this was terrible. So we're going to make up this cock and bull story. It's like, oh, my God. Uh, it sounded ridiculous to me when I heard it, but I, I mean, I, and I definitely debate that they are good at PR. I mean, I think that we have, ton, we have, I can probably have to use both hands to count all the PR fiascos from the last 12 months alone. Um, but a lot of it gets over, over, uh, written essentially, or ends up being ignored in the long run because they've been killing it with their products. Like the product mix has been excellent the last couple of years. So people have forgiven them many transgressions. Um, okay, okay, okay. Let's talk about everything we learned about the new fall set this week. Tremendous bundle of complexity has been dropped in our laps as magic players and collectors and financiers. Throne of Eldraine is the new set for the fall. Let's see if we can plow through all the different things we know about. We're, 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 we say, you say plow because this is the second time we're recording this set. Because we recorded it last night, realized that we had enough details wrong about the pack distribution that we felt like we needed to go back and do it again, which should really tell you something yep. about the details of the new pack distribution. <sighs> yeah. Well, Throne of Eldraine. I mean, maybe we're not. Be cool. Maybe we're not the sharpest <laughs> tax in the box, but this should really not right. be this well, difficult. Well, let's, let's, let's start the easy part, <laughs> right. right? Throne of Eldraine. Uh, <laughs> you know, the we know the theme of the set now. Uh, I think one of my what one of the things we one of the more amusing parts of this that I thought was that it, the invitation went out. We saw there were fairies on it. Ro then everyone went out and bought fairies. Like you bought some, I bought some. Everybody who jumped in on that. And that God, I hope we did not record this prior to segment four. <laughs> I just realized, did we talk? Did we talk about this before segment four? I don't remember. Then Rosewater says on Tumblr, I don't understand why everyone's excited about fairies. They're not like a core part of the set. They're just in the set. So then, uh, you know, the joke was, haha, all those people went out and bought, you know, Sign of Ona and Mistbind Click, and they're getting owned because this isn't a fairy tribal set. Which uh, I feel like you weren't that disturbed by. Uh, people love to latch onto a narrative where they think that MTG Finance is having the screws put to them, <laughs> but this is one of the weaker ones that I've heard lately. The First of all, um, Marrow did not deny that there are fairies in the set. He just said the whole set's yeah. not about fairies. Like, it's not a central theme where it's like warring, uh, you know, courts of fairies. It's, in fact, the rumor mill, uh, we've already, you know, been hearing rumors for a while that the tribes in this set are something like dwarves, giants, fairies, and humans. So we know it's not all about fairies, or at least we think we know. Um, and I think the fairy specs that people should be pretty shallow on uh, is my main point when I was talking about this on Twitter. Like, this isn't the kind of thing anybody should be super deep on. But there's no harm in being a little bit in on it because we're going to get some fairies here and it's the only question now is whether it's a sub theme or an entire you know one of the major races in the set uh this the theming of the set is knights of the round table slash camelot meets hans christian anderson so like middle european fairy tales thinking you know hansel and gretel and little red riding hood and i don't know why they included the gingerbread man because i don't put that in that list but okay 
Um, we saw some art that suggested, you know, that character is in the set. <laughs> you know, Little Red Riding Hood and Goldilocks and the cum-drenched ginger man. You know, that typical fairy tale yeah. character. It's a kid's game. What can you expect? The um, So there will be fairies. The, the question is how many of them will be playable in modern or and or will you get a good fairy commander that makes people want to build fairy tribal as opposed to just sending people off in some other direction. I mean, like, Una, Queen of the Fae, is a pretty good fairy in EDH, especially now that Painter's Servant is unbanned. But that doesn't mean that Una makes you want to build a, a big mm-hmm. fairy deck. Yeah, I do definitely think they're so, going to... I feel like this feel like deja vu. I do feel like we're probably going to get some sort of good fairy commander, at least, since Una isn't really a fairy commander. She's now just a Painter's Servant commander. Yeah, I mean, the the idea that people were running after fairies because it's about fairy tales is just wrong. That's not how that all went down. That's not how rumors, were, like, what people were reacting to. The um, It was definitely the core theming of the set, including fairies, not the yeah, fairy yeah. So, so as we alluded to, in, or as we mentioned in segment one, the, the sign of Una's are still good. The, uh, was it, Will, Fairy Willow or whatever? The, 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 that's yeah, a little Willow sketchier because, okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So anyway, the the most interesting and ridiculously complicated product that's being added to the mix here is something called the Collector Booster Pack. And Collector Boosters, to my understanding, are going to primarily be available through LGSs. You are going to have two basic ways of going after them through that, that uh, distribution point. One is that you pre-order a box. The latest news I have on that is that you better do it early because even the biggest of LGSs probably are only going to get enough individual collector boosters to assign to the buy a box promotion to maybe fulfill two thirds of their buy a box orders. So in the same way that a really busy store can run out of buy a box promo cards, um, this time around, if you get in real early, you get the buy a box promo card and the uh, 15 card collector booster but if you're late you might get neither so that's an easy 15 to 25 dollars worth of value minimum that you're getting off the price of your box and you get to support your local lgs seems like a pretty easy swipe if you're the kind of person kind of player that's buying a box or two anyway it, for every set. right if if these truly he does mention that they're limited run in the article and if these truly are limited in that regard where, you know, everything is going to be gone the opening weekend and that's it. Um, you, you buy what you can get right out of the bat gate because that means supply is absolutely at its peak at that point. Um, and you're unlikely to really end up overpaying uh, in the long run. I, I, I'm disappointed that this is how they're handling the clock. Okay, I'm disappointed about a lot of things here. Um one of the aspects in which I'm a little disappointed is at least when I when I first hear the word collector booster, I think of boosters as being something that are on the shelf that are purchasable, um, especially when they're involved with a regular set as opposed to like Ultimate Masters. So it's a little disappointing that there is not going to be this like ultra premium, super cool booster on the top shelf of your game store that 
you know, younger children and, and, you know, aspiring players can kind of look up at and think, well, maybe today I can buy it or maybe next time. And then that they get to save their pennies for and eventually go buy a $30 booster and find something really cool in it. Like, you're just not going to have that. You're not going to see them on the shelf. They're just going to be gone immediately into the hands of people like you and I. So clearly the money is going to be made be made there, but it seems to lack some of the character of what I would expect a booster to be. This is really a replacement um, for Mythic Edition, which had a whole bevy of problems of its own in terms of access and distribution. You know, we had the first... Um, wild set of scenarios around mythic edition one last fall where they were first sold online and that crashed the wizards e-commerce site which then led to them saying they were going to distribute a bunch of them at channel fireball gps but which opened up all sorts of arbitrage opportunities including me getting to short some mythic edition one mythic edition two was okay because it wasn't uh, a fantastic set so didn't sell out right away and lingered for a while. And then Mythic Edition 3, of course, led to the whole fiasco with everybody having to get uh, shipped foil wearing Mythic Sheets from War of the Spark because they thought they ordered some but didn't. So this is the new approach. They're going to try this different thing now instead of going that I, route. I guess I guess when you and think about it... Th- there's, uh, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You can finish. Yeah, the core point I'm trying to make is that there there is a second opportunity to get access to these collector boosters before we get into what's actually in them. Um, and that is buying a whole box of them. And word on the street is that the wholesale cost of these to from distributors or wizards, whoever it is distributing them directly to LGSs, um, is going to be even more than Modern Horizons. So we're talking somewhere probably in the 160 to 180 range, which means that these boxes will probably pre-order some places around maybe 200 to 220 would be my guess would be the most common price on the internet and then you know at certain lgs's that are only getting a very low allocation they may price them at 249 or 250 or something and i would guess that given that they're i think they're only going to be available within the first month or so until people run out and then that's it um by next spring, I would expect these things to be 350 400 if it turns out that the content of the cards in this set justifies it. Because one of the things that's going to influence how expensive these end up being down the road is how good the set is. Um, and we'll get to why that is in a second here. So I will say that if you, if you think about the Collector Booster as the replacement for Mythic Edition, which appears to be how they're setting this up, I suppose I don't hate that because the, the 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 debacle with Mythic Edition was that they were trying to find a way, trying to find a channel through which to provide those types of cards to players. Um, other than putting them in normal standard packs, they went with the online sales. Obviously, we saw those problems. So this is now basically instead of going on eBay or to the Magic or the Hasbro store and trying to buy everything at two o'clock in the afternoon on one particular day, now the bevy of activity is at the local game store. Now you're trying to get in the door and get your store owner to put you on a list to buy a box of theme boosters or uh, several theme boosters, which. I guess is probably for the better overall, right? Like it's a better distribution model for the average player. I mean, honestly, I, I don't set foot in local stores very often, and I'm probably not going to go through the work of going into one to try and order one. And I don't even think that most of the stores would put me on the list. Like, or they'll be like, well, we'll put you on the list, but like, we're going to give all of our regulars a shot first. 
right? Like anyone who, who shows up for FNM every week is going to get priority on that list. And as much as that sucks for me, I understand where they're coming from that. So if you're a regular player at your, your local store, it seems like you are now in much better shape to get your hands on those than I am. Whereas for the last Mythic Edition, I was locked and loaded and ready to move. And anyone who was not the same was SOL. So I guess from that perspective, it's a better distribution model. Yeah, it solves some of the complaints, right? Because people having 12 accounts set up on eBay is significantly more friendly to MTG Finance and more unfriendly to random player X than forcing people to have social credit at their local LGS to get access to these. However, I I have seen some pre-orders already posted in our Discord from, like, for instance, ToyWiz had a pre-order for... Um, a box of these boosters on their site. So I I think what that ends up meaning is that it sort of solves the problem. Some amount of the distribution is going through the LGSs, and it's not clear to me whether LGSs will for sure be selling sealed boxes of these packs or only have access to them through the buy a box promotion. And whether boxes of them otherwise will just be through the distribution channels, like a, like a modern master set would be, and that they're a limited print run, but everybody will have them for some period of time, and then, but they're not printing anymore. So once the the world runs out of them, they're gone. It's also worth noting that they're only being printed in English and Japanese. So it's not clear to me what's happening with say buy a box promotions in France, like our French players getting an English pack or no pack. Um, that's going to matter uh, for, for reasons we'll discuss once we get into what's in the packs. And it also makes me want to start looking at flights to get to Japan for the pre-release because I guarantee you people are going to underprice or misevaluate cards from that are special to these collector packs that show up in the first week that later become worth a lot of money, just as we saw happen with some of the alt art cards uh, in Japan you know, everybody knew alt art cards were going to be a big deal there, but they didn't know which cards were great. And so, for instance, they people thought Teferi Time Raveler wasn't that good. People thought Narset Parter of Ales wasn't that good. People weren't that high on the new Karn, all of which ended up turning out to be super busted magic cards. And, you know, I was buying them through proxy um, partners at very attractive prices opening week and... I have a sense that those opportunities will exist this time, even though people will be, you know, on the edge of their seats looking to get more Japanese exclusives. Well, I I do think that it seems highly unlikely that everyone who doesn't live in America or Japan gets completely screwed. Um, <coughs> you know, France, Germany, whatever. I would expect they just get the English ones, right? Like all the inventions were in English, period. No matter what set you were, what language you were opening. So I guess that's going to be their their default there. Um, you know, as for making the trip over to Japan, that's, that's something, uh, you would have done very well with the, uh, whatchamacallit, the alternate art, the Japanese alt art stuff. I do wonder if the distribution is going to be different enough that it won't be as lucrative, especially if you are trying to go after targeted cards. Like you'd have to go after packs, I think, rather than targeted cards. Um, because there's going to be so many as opposed to the all art Japanese stuff where there was so much, so many fewer. 
that it might be hard to find mm, like I, several Amano Lilies because there's going to be so many versions of so many cards floating around. Well, I, I don't think there's going to be more. My, my understanding is that the collector boosters are going to be printed at something like 5% of the total volume of the main set. So I, that that is significantly the good cards. And, and as we're going to talk about in a second... All the rares and mythics are getting the the equivalent of the masterpiece treatment here, well, as we'll get into in the details. So there's so many more cards distributed. Um, like there's so many more. Uh, there are. <laughs> it's a larger pool of masterpieces to chase, but the end there are less of these. I think floating around total, given what you have well, that- to get them. Than there were with War of the Spark boosters, which were opened continuously at Japanese pre-releases, and Japanese pre-releases all included alt art planeswalkers. In that's what I. That's what so, I mean. Is that it will be harder to target those cards because there are so many various versions, and there's just generally fewer of them. Like you could have gone over to Japan going after the Amano Lilianas. And you, there would have been enough around that you probably could have bought several. But now you might go over looking for a specific foil extended art mythic, and you might only be able to find one in a local store or zero because there's just there's so many more cards, so many different like. Do you know what I mean? It's gonna be harder to target specific cards. Yeah, I I see what you're you're getting at, but I'm not sure we have no, all the not math. at all, not at all. We have enough math yet to make that call, but that that is the decision matrix that would be need to be considered. All right, so let's let's jump in here and try not to make a mess of what's actually in these collector oh. boosters, so our listeners can figure out what's going on. Let me do it from the top, just the bullet points, and then I'll I'm going to highlight what I think people need to actually be thinking about. So it's a 15 card pack that also has a foil token. It's the only place you can get the foil token, but that's probably not a big deal. You can get a foil rare or mythic rare from the set. Okay, easy to understand. Nine foil commons or uncommons per pack. So tons of foils are going to be available up front. There's going to be a huge influx of foils. um, And foil commons and uncommons seem like a real bad place to be here, at least in the first six months. Um, You're getting an ancillary card, which basically means a card that is printed in some other product related to this set that is not going to be in the normal booster packs and booster boxes. So an example is they've also announced Brawl decks. They're trying to make that a thing. And the Brawl decks have uh, a new mana rock in them that taps for uh, a color that is a color of... Absolutely terrible card, by the way. But carry on. Um, Yeah, people are criticizing it because it basically... It's so obviously needs to be included in every deck in, in Brawl and EDH that... It eliminates the design space for... Your deck is now 59 cards, so, not 60. Sure. Um, and people would argue that EDH decks start with at least three or four cards named, including Soul yeah. Ring, etc. So, so that's the stuff that's easy to understand. The other two things to think about is you get a rare or mythic rare with extended art, and that card can be foil or non-foil. So when we're talking about extended art, we're talking about the same kind of treatment you saw, roughly the same as what you saw in the Ultimate Masters box toppers and the Mythic Edition Planeswalkers. Now, in the article that Wizards put out, they differentiated between borderless Planeswalker and extended art card, but don't let that confuse you. They are basically the same thing. The artists push right out to the edges. 
and they they look more or less the same. They are the masterpieces of the set because the at least the uh, extended art cards that are not borderless planeswalkers are because borderless planeswalkers can also be found in the regular booster packs and booster boxes um, as both foil and non-foil and can be found in these collector boosters. But the extended art cards for the other mythics and rares cannot be found in booster packs and booster boxes. So to put this simply, if there is a new Teferi Hero of Dominaria level Planeswalker in this set, the borderless Planeswalker version will be available in both booster packs and the collector booster. Now, the the rate of getting them is better in the collector booster because you're, get, you're getting a rare or mythic rare with extended art in every booster pack. You just don't know if you're getting a foil or a non-foil. So if you get a 12-pack box, you're getting a shot at 12 of those. But the if there is something like a Snapcaster Mage uh, in this set that is has an extended art version, that's only available in these collector boosters. And those can be either, they, they can be mythics and rares, and they can be foil or non-foil. So there's, because there are, for instance, in the mythics, three borderless planeswalkers and two of the showcase cards, which we'll get to in a second, that leaves 10 mythics that will be extended art cards and 48 rares out of 53 that will be extended art cards that are only available in the collector boosters. And I think that is going to be, those are going to be the things that explode six months out when there's no further supply. Now, let, let me, let me, before we get into that, let me, before we talk that over, let me uh, juxtapose that against the showcase cards. I hate the way that they named this whole thing because I think it's very, very confusing. What Wizards means by showcase cards is a hand-picked selection of cards that they feel represent the themes of Throne of Eldraine. So showcase doesn't mean, doesn't equivocate to Masterpiece. It just means these are the cards we think best represent the set. And so the example they gave us was a Goldilocks-looking character. And they showed us the special frame, the, the normal frame she has in booster boxes. And then they showed us the showcase card version, which is a more kind of middle European fairy tale like frame that we would kind of associate with uh, a masterpiece in the sense of Kaladesh had a special frame. Um, Amonkhet had a special frame. Uh, Battle for Zendikar had a special frame. This is, this is the continuation of the artistic side of masterpieces in the sense that it is a unique frame you can get access to. And they do come in both foil and non-foil. It, it does seem like the what we know as the masterpiece is gone because the only unique art frames are the showcase cards, but those are no but those are only a small subset of cards and aren't they're not cherry picked to be like powerful or exciting cards the way inventions were. Yeah, so right. And know. even if they are, it's still well, well. Well, more to the point, there's no reprints. Yeah, both both the extended art cards and the showcase cards, which are the two things you would be considering as to how how they relate to masterpieces. They're all cards right. in this set. So this 
the, the key point there is this set does not contain any masterpieces from other sets. There are no the, reprint masterpieces. So we, of any we, we really need to stop referring to these as like, we can't refer to any of these as masterpieces. I feel like that's just going to get very confusing. Masterpieces were a thing of the past. There are no more masterpieces. There are showcase cards, which so, carry on the legacy of the unique border, but they just function completely differently. I think we feel differently about that because I think of them differently. To me, Masterpiece card is a lottery ticket money card that I can pull out of I could pack. buy that if they didn't. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care at all what the look and feel of it is. That's that's a function of how aesthetically appealing I find that product. But the, the, the core of Masterpieces was if you open one of these, you're going to pay for a box. Or you're going to have a chance of paying for a big chunk of your box. And you're not going to get I could buy that if they didn't specifically say that masterpiece is the term for the for the set that includes inventions uh invocations expeditions like masterpiece is the branded term for those it's not a, com- a community slang term oh i know but i what, what i'm argu- i've been arguing the whole time is that they've been mismanaging the design and marketing of premium products from start to finish in fact i made the argument some time ago that one of the biggest problems with changing the frames all the time, obviously the benefit of it is that you get a frame that's unique to the set that is visually identifiable, that um, easily identifies the subset of cards that allows vendors to lay them out in a way that is visually appealing and distinct. And that ties into those artistic themes of the set. All of that I understand and agree with, but the downside in the long term is that it forces players, especially magic players who tend to, in many cases, trend towards the OCD um, side of things, uh, forces them to mismatch the look and feel of their cards, which I think is a tremendous mistake. I And one of the things that I think they're getting right here, finally, is realizing that if they give us extended art cards that just extend the art to the borders, and they do that through several sets, then people will get to the point, or after, if they keep that up for a couple of years, of being able to pull some modern decks and some EDH decks together that have a very uh, unified look and feel. And that's going to be very appealing to a lot of people and will keep prices high on older cards. Like Throne of Eldraine um, isn't really the first step down this road. That would have to be the Ultimate Masters box toppers and the Mythic Edition uh, Planeswalkers. That's given us the first set of cards that leads into this. And this is more of the same. So so just to recap, I, I want to get these the terminology and the differentiation clear here before we we start arguing about anything showcase cards are thematic cards chosen from the set and given that have a regular regular look and feel and then a special look and feel that looks european there are two (laughs) mythics five rares nine uncommons and 14 commons in that position and you can get them in both draft boosters and collector boosters Extended art cards are basically the rest of the mythics and rares that are not either borderless planeswalkers or showcase cards. And those cards you can only get in the collector boosters. So the easiest way to think about it is there are ultimate masters box toppers for all the rares and mythics that are not either planeswalkers or showcase cards. That's as succinct as I can make that for you. (laughs) And you're still going to need to look up this chart that we're looking at now to really get it. Yeah, it's it's. There are 15 Mythics, 10 of them will be Extended Art, 2 of them will be Showcase Cards, 
which are the unique border, and three of them will be Planeswalkers, which are essentially extended art, but technically aren't. But that does mean that if this set gets a Snapcaster, and it turns out it was a showcase card, there will not be an extended art version of it. There will only be a showcase version, which is a little funky too. There's all these like tiny little corner cases that like don't feel like they matter that much, but will probably matter eventually somehow. Let me give you an example of some of these silly corner cases. So for instance, in draft packs, you cannot get a common non-foil showcase card. And why? In draft packs, you can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The common. Well, I was going to point that out as seemingly being one of the possible sweet spots is if you look for the fatal push or whatever that card is. Well, it can't be. Was fatal push uncommon? The unearth. Sure. Whatever that. Yeah. Lava dart. Yeah. Whatever the good common is, the non-foil extended arts will be definitely worth chasing, I think. Especially if if you people were kind of realize early on that it's going to get played, um, because anyone who plays competitively will be interested, and they do not like foils, so they're only yep. going to want those. Apparently, you can get the buy a box in non foil or foil now, which also is a significant upgrade from last year's. Uh, problems with the uh, time walk that nobody was too happy about. Uh, So obviously the buy a box in foil you get when you do the buy a box promotion. And hopefully if you're lucky, you also get a collector pack, which um, could also have a buy a box card in it, but it will be in (laughs) non-foil. So you can get the buy a box in the ancillary slot, I think, in the collector booster. Let me go revisit collector booster for a second because there's one part I missed. The showcase cards... Um, show up in the collector booster in three slots. They have three special frame cards that can be showcase or borderless planeswalkers. So you you get one shot at what I think the closest thing to a masterpiece is, which is the extended art rares and mythics, and three shots at showcase cards and borderless planeswalkers. So a f- total of four, what I'm going to call potential money cards. The foil rare and mythic rare could also be a money card. And the ancillary card arguably could be as well. But big money, the stuff that might be worth 100 plus later, is probably in those four slots. The extended art, the one rare mythic extended art, and the three special frame cards. And especially the rare mythic with extended art because you can only get them in the collector packs. Right. That's definitely the takeaway here, that the extended art cards are going to be the chase cards of the set. And notably, the entire... Well, not the entire, but a majority of the mythics and the rares in those packs are getting the extended art treatment, which is also a departure from what we know of normal masterpieces, which is a very curated set of cards, right? There's like 23 or 25 or whatever, 45 over the course of an entire set, but 25 in the fall set. Um, Now you have all of them. So like the garbage that you don't care about is still getting an extended art version. So somebody's opening a $25, $30 booster pack and their foil rare extended art card is what? Yeah, a A bulk bulk rare. rare. Um, So it seems like specific extended art cards are going, might be harder to track down than masterpieces were. I mean, I guess we can probably assume that they likely shot to keep the chase 
extended art cards, probably the foils, at roughly the same volume as past masterpieces. So if we know masterpieces floated between 10 and 20,000 copies at any given, you know, that's how many they printed. I guess we can probably assume that roughly that many foil extended art cards of any particular mythic exist. Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing. And I think that it, even if they pushed that by 50%, we're talking about no more than twenty or 30,000 of those. Yeah. Because they, they know their market. They know how much premium product they can pump into the market and have it do well. And it's notable that they're only doing this in English and Japanese. That means they weren't confident that it was worth it to print it in the other languages. Those markets aren't as big. Eng- the, the English-speaking market and the Japanese market are the two biggest markets for Magic. Clearly, that's why they get they get every product. And... This does open uh, a little bit of a dilemma that is similar to Japanese War of the Spark versus uh, alt art War of the Spark versus, say, Foil Russian, where I haven't been going very deep on Foil Russian War of the Spark stuff, um, except for the very the most obvious of cards in the set, because I think that people will prefer the Japanese ones, even though Japanese is usually a little less expensive than Russian because they print more of it, um, making it a little less special. Because of the alt art, you know, foil Russian Dread, Liliana Dreadhorde General, the you know, a mono Lily, is always going to be more expensive than the foil Russian Dreadhorde General. And I think we might see a situation like that again here, where the Japanese extended art Snapcaster Mage, whatever the equivalent of that is, the best rare or mythic in the set, that's not a showcase card or a borderless planeswalker, um, is likely to be worth more in the Japanese version than, say, Russian foil would be. The Japanese foil version, I'm saying. Yes, I guess so. Because because it's only available in Japan, but more to the point, it's probably more rare than Amano Lilies, because in theory, Amano Lilies are still in print. They come out of Japanese War the Spark booster boxes, and those booster boxes are available all year. Whereas, as far as we know, this is a limited print run, which in the experience of what we've seen with Pat, you know, the closest thing we've seen to that in the past was Modern Master sets. And Modern Master sets were generally available for a few months. Well, the, the, the article says they're a limited print run. The question is what limited print run actually means. Um, I'm, I'm assuming in the same way that we think that they're, you know, they're going to be just about as many of the extended art mythics as we would expect plus minus 50%, something like that, that that's also what we can expect from the total print run, given that I'm hearing it's single digit percentage versus the normal print run. I wonder if they're even going to last past the first three weeks. Like the only, like maybe they only last because people sandbag them. Like, like uh, stores. You're gonna, you're gonna you're gonna see LG you're gonna see LGS is telling people that they're already sold out and when they've got them mm-hmm. in the back room. For yeah. sure. It, it especially if, it, if this set is powerful. Like if this set is on the same level as War of the Spark and Dominaria. Well, absolutely. and I don't I, I don't think that's gonna happen. I really don't think that this is all we've had several juice sets in a row now, right? You had Dominaria, which had a lot of powerful, exciting cards. You had War of the Spark, which was nuts. You had Modern Horizons, which is obviously way over the top, and now you've got this. Like it doesn't it seems like that they can't keep this up forever. And even if it's this set, it'll be the next set, you know? Um, in any case, I guess the, I guess the, the target here, 
The target here are the extended art cards for sure. Those seem to be the most obvious ones because th that's what you have to focus on. And those are going to be the hard to find cards, the hardest to find cards because they're the only ones only available in the, uh, the collector boosters. Everything else is basically in the draft boosters for the most part. Um, and, and, and let's review for a second the math there because you, 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 you spoke to this for a second, but I want to drive it home. There are 10 mythics that are extended art, and there are 48 rares. That's 58 total. You only get 12 booster packs per box. So you need, like, probably six to seven boxes to complete a set. That says to me that dudes like my dad that got to have one of everything are going to drive, are going to buy a lot of cards. Now because let's say my let's say my dad manages to get a buy a box promo single booster pack and manages to convince his LGS owner to sell him a box of collector packs they're probably not going to sell him two or three they're only going to sell him one that will i would assume that will be kind of the, the the standard for the stores who actually bother to sell it to people so let's say he gets 13 packs on his own and he doesn't have any pull at any other LGSs or the drive is too far to get to them so he doesn't bother so maybe the you know the average hustle like field player person that actually puts in the effort gets 13 packs by themselves that that only gives them 39 special frame cards and 13 extended art rares or mythics they got a long way to go if they want to finish mm -hmm. those sets i you know, I'm looking at the article here, and I'm also noticing, I, and I mean, you might have mentioned this, but I mean, who can keep track of all this crap, that the the rare, mythic rare with extended art slot does not guarantee foil at all. No, not guaranteed. It, it, they didn't actually just, they didn't indicate drop rates in the article, but I would assume that they are equivalent to booster box foil versus non-foil drop rates. Which, which, by the way, to my knowledge, they also haven't confirmed. I don't know whether El Throne of Eldraine has the same increased foil drop rates as Magic 2020. I assume that it does because that seems to be what they want. It, I don't think it was testing for M2020. I think it was a policy yeah. shift. So I think that I think that it is probably um, going to right. be like that. But so Toy Toy Wiz has these twelve collector booster packs up at two fourteen ninety nine on their site right now. Are you a buyer? Uh, wait, hold on. I want to let me finish my thought first. The the rare mythic rare slot with extended art is not guaranteed to be foil, and in fact, it it doesn't even indicate whether it can or can't be foil, as far as I can tell. I guess we can. Ah, the the community seems to have uh, have asserted that it can be foil because that's the only place you should, you ah no, get it. no it's the only no, place you're supposed because to. there's the foil rare foil or mythic rare with extended art slot. That guarantee seems to me, looking at the article, guarantees a extended art card in non-foil. Then there is a foil rare no. mythic rare slot, which can include variant versions, such as borderless extended art or showcase. So you're guaranteed, when I read this, you are guaranteed a non-foil extended art card, and then you are guaranteed a foil card, which could be extended art. You might you might be right, actually. That That is a, a reasonable interpretation of that, but they need to clarify, because 
it could be one way or the other. I, either way, I don't think that actually changes the drop rate of those things. It's just what's Yeah, most likely. But it does mean that the non-foil extended arts are actually fairly common because it means you're getting one every single collector pack. Yes. Which is, I would say, a, a fair a fair bit of them in that regard. I mean, it's hard to say how much of a premium they will even carry. That That's kind of like Karn... Uh, great creator versus Japanese non-foil current great creator. Is it double the price plus 25% of the price? It will remain to be seen. In the case of the jank cards, it might not have much difference at all because they're bulks. Well, you know, you could theoretically see a weird break here where a constructed staple that nobody plays casually is more expensive in non-foil because anyone who plays competitively wants it non-foil and the type of people that want the foils uh, don't want the card. So I don't think it'll come up much, but it does seem like it's on the table as a possibility. Yeah, if it's a standard four of competitive card, that's possible. Where foils are less, are although we did, we still see standard foils sell, just less of. So anyway, uh, Toy Wiz, they have a listing up two fourteen ninety nine. So, so two hundred fifteen bucks, and I'm getting what twelve packs. So yep. I'm paying eighteen dollars a pack, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, probably, right. That sounds correct to me. I mean, I I was anticipating like twenty to thirty on these. I think somebody I saw a number somewhere. It no MSRP. So one of the if your interpretation of the uh, extended art foils is correct and they appear in slot two, you need to know the the drop rate of extended art versus pack foil. Because without that, you don't know how many masterpieces you're actually averaging for 12 packs. Um, I guess the question is... How many foil masterpieces? Does, so wait, does that matter though? Because if they're super rare, it means if you get lucky, you just found a card worth like $400. But if they're common, the prices are go down, but you get more of them. I feel like the drop rate doesn't actually impact it. Well, I mean... Yes, there's a slider that considers both of those those uh, factors, but it doesn't mean that the slider slides smoothly and it's not yeah. on the curve. So we don't, I think my take on this is we don't have enough information. I'm tempted to go ahead and order one of those just because I think that once we see some cool cards, people are probably going to drop the hammer and rush to the doors to try to buy them. But... Well, let um, me ask you. The, in in some in some ways, these remind me of the the flip Ixalan cards, like foil search for Azkanta and Japanese uh, search for Azkanta. They were only available that one weekend. Yeah, and I suspect that I suspect that the price points on that subset is probably more of a guide than any any set of masterpieces. Let me ask seen. you a question: Has there ever been? a product especially a premium product that was overpriced at release and stayed overpriced like where if you (laughs) bought at the very very first wave you were underwater at all times after that 
I don't think so. I, th- I think everything I think clo- goes up. Well, there's a couple of examples where people were dissatisfied for some period of time, for sure. Modern Masters 2015, the debacle with the cardboard, uh, rect- rectangular cardboard boost, uh, booster packs, damaging all the cards and wrecking all the sure. um certainly kept people underwater for a while there and the composition of that set wasn't anywhere near as good as the original modern masters and then iconic masters and m25 but, were both but, were, were both sub if you paid lgs prices for those boxes you probably got wrecked on ev and you may still yeah so i'll give you that and i'll also probably give you i guess mythic edition 2 um although i'm not sure that you're underwater on that one if you got it at the msrp if you if you but yeah exactly you're still fine if you got original but but that's kind of my point is like i'm not thinking about like are these a good price at whatever the initial price your lgs is going to charge you i'm talking about like the price that you're going to pay if you are buying from the first person selling it which in this case it sounds like would you say tales of adventure or whatever whatever that store is uh Toy Wiz is roughly in that space right now. Like, it just feels like very, very regularly, even if not 100% of the time, like 85 to 95% of the time, that stuff starts out underpriced and then the price rises. I mean, look at all the Japanese alt art stuff. How much of that is cheaper today than it was on release weekend? Um, you, You know, just things of that nature, even if it's not clearly a constructed scenario where the price is intended to far exceed msrp it seems like when we're left to our own devices to find those numbers we the the early early community tends to miss if that makes sense so so really i think if you're and and how i mean okay so that you're paying 18 bucks a pack uh a little under i mean what do you think the floor is on these like there's no way it's lower than 10 right I mean, a normal booster pack is like four to five bucks. So you're paying twice that for the collector pack at 10. I mean, it just seems like they can't possibly be worth less than 10. So 14 isn't even much of a gamble. I'm looking through the slots and thinking about like what each slot is likely to be worth on average. That, I mean, how can you possibly? Well, I mean, I'm. I'm, I have to recalibrate because I spent the weekend opening Russian Modern Horizons, which is insanely different from a standard box. <laughs> so just the fact that you're, it's the jank potential of these packs. They're going to be very swingy. Let's put it that oh, way. Oh, yeah. Sealed, sealed, they are much safer than once you've opened them. Yeah. Let's put it that way. I mean, you could you could open a collector booster, your rare or mythic rare with extended art, bulk rare, your foil rare, bulk rare. Nine foil comes and uncommons, all garbage. Three special frame cards, either showcase or borderless planeswalkers. Yeah, what if you hit three showcase commons and uncommons? Like, you could easily open a collector booster that's worth like a dollar. But you could also open the uh, foil mythic rare extended art card that is the, you know, the the chase card from the set. And that's, <laughs> so how much is that damn card going to be? Like, we don't know yet, but it seems like you're setting up to have a three or $400 card there. Yeah, I think so. Because this is the largest set of Masterpiece-style cards 
with an exclusive release that we've seen because War of the Spark is the closest and it only had alts for the Planeswalkers. This has 77... Well, wait, how many extended art? There's 48, 58... So 48 rares and 10 mythics that can be extended arts, and those are the ones that are exclusive to the collector booster. So 58, and that's more than the number of Planeswalkers that got the treat the alt art treatment in Japan for War of the Spark. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, it's tricky. We need more info. It feels more like info. foil extended art mythics are going to be each any individual one is rarer than an individual invention. No, I I need to run some math. Like we don't know. We just we, we just don't know. It's an it's an it's an interesting thesis, but I need to run some math to try to approximate that. Because what we're there there's a much bigger pool, and so any one of them is yeah. rare. But the value of each of them is lower because it's not a bunch of overpowered reprints from prior prior sets. Yeah. So the individual one is lower and the price isn't distributed evenly. <laughs> So it's harder to find one specifically and the other ones aren't dragging that one's price down. A relevant point of comparison is to say something like Kaladesh Inventions, like 60% of them ended up being big money earners. And I would suspect that in this case of the 58 extended art cards, five to 10 will Mm -hmm. be important. The rest are going to be. Yeah. The bulk being probably like a couple dollars type of thing. I don't know if they go that low. 10 bucks. That's an interesting question too, right? What, what, what's the floor on an extended art, you know, rare foil in this circumstance. If bulk is 25 to 50 cents. Mm, I, I guess the floor is probably, I would guess the floor is 75 cents to $3, like the absolute floor. Like, do you remember Archangel's Grace, Archangel's Light, that like n- spell from Dark Ascension that you gained like a life for every card, two life for every card in your graveyard, that they they put in the design file late. And they didn't have time to cost it correctly, so they costed it at nine. Like that, that like they wrote about this. They're like, this probably could have cost five or six, but we didn't want to screw it up, so we just made it cost nine to make sure it wasn't broken. Like ultra premium garbage. Um, that was a mythic rare, but if that was a rare, like literally nobody wants that card. So if you, even if you only, even if there's only several thousand, I don't think there's several thousand people that want that card so it doesn't seem like it's impossible for the floor on these to be 50 or 75 cents um maybe not at release weekend but over time as you know people crack collectors boosters and more over them enter the market and there's just no buyer for them but at the same time i would also estimate that the you know the bulk of these you know 80 percent of the foil rares will probably sit at three to ten dollars would be my guess, but we don't. Again, we don't know the breakdown, so it's really hard to to pin that down. And and here's the other interesting thing: we're kind of ignoring the showcase cards and the Bordeaux Planeswalkers on the basis that they uh, they are available in normal mm-hmm. draft packs. But some of those are going to be big money too. Um, we just don't know which ones, and we don't know the drop rate. Like, we know that Borderless Planeswalkers appear in the set, but in War of the Japanese War of the Spark, the precedent established was basically you had a 50-50. Mm-hmm. 
So like you open any given Japanese War of the Spark Booster pack, it's not automatically alt art. About 50% of the time it is. So in a 36-pack box, you get 18 alt arts, and I've opened enough of them to know that that's just about true. Now, it, it had a little bit of variance, like plus or minus four cards or something like that, um, with your average being closer to plus or minus one. But the I wonder if they're going to do that again. Like, if you if you pull new Teferi out of Throne of Eldraine, is it a 50-50 chance that it that it's extent a borderless planeswalker or is it one in 10? What's the deal? Got me. We just don't know. Right. We need that information too, because if it's, if it's 50, 50, they're not that big a deal. Uh, if it's one in 10, they are, those are also masterpieces. Yeah. Because, because the, the mythic editions are all foils. Borderless foil planeswalkers. Now they're saying everything, every, every premium version we make comes in a non-foil yep. version too. So, you know, if the fo- if uh, the uh, the chances of pulling a foil mythic, any particular foil mythic, are very low. It's like per number of cases. Um, then getting the at a fifty-fifty drop rate, it's twice that to find the borderless version and if it's a one in ten drop rate or something then it's you know many many wait to find which card so we need to find a borderless planeswalker which is essentially all so you're talking about a foil one yeah because they get pulling any planeswalkers are all mythics in this set so pulling any foil mythic is quite hard and if they're using the same ratio as war the spark it's twice as hard as that as that already very hard thing. I mean, I opened I opened twelve uh, boxes of Modern Horizons on the weekend, and I they are thirty six pack boxes, and there are fifteen mythics in that set, and the foil drop rates are equivalent to old standard drop rates for foils, and I got three foil mythics out of twelve boxes. It's pretty rough. Um, well, it's as hard as should be expected. Now, this this circles back to the question of whether the foil drop rates are increased as per M2020. Because if foil drop rates are increased overall, then that counters some of the rarity of having a 50-50 chance at the borderless planeswalkers. The, the bottom line here is this article is incomplete. There is a bunch of math that still remains to be revealed. Which was their so, point. I think I would be comfortable. I think I'm fine taking a, like, I would probably snap up the first collector box I see posted near 200, and then I'm going to wait for more information. Yeah, which is, which is fair. I, I agree. Of- like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't buy $1,000 worth at the moment, at least until you have any sort of, some sort of information. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's really unlikely that you miss completely, uh, if you pay two fifteen for the box, like, it just seems like that's pretty, pretty unlikely to happen, but I don't know for sure. That's tough. I, I think, I think the takeaway here is we don't really know. First of all, this is way too complex. Like it's now taking way, us two, way, way took us two complex. days to make sense of this shit. Uh, 
And we still had to waste an hour talking about it to even approximate explaining. Yeah, it. and like even as we're recording, we're still like, you know, I I walked through that my read of the the collector booster, and you're like, oh, I didn't even think of that. And, you know, I was Adam Barnello was tweeting tweeted the other day about how you know he couldn't keep track of all this. I'm like, dude, I get paid to keep track of this, and I can't do it. I just it's it's a nightmare, and. It, you know, I now at least I feel like after begrudgingly having read this crap again, I feel like I have a rough frame for like what cards are going to show up where, but I still don't have any idea how that's going to play out in the numbers because we just, even with, even if they released all the rates of this stuff, it's still hard to like get an intuitive sense of it. To run yeah. And even, it, you, you know, we don't like, I understand what foils are and how often they show up and like the numbers involved, but I'm not going to understand this stuff. Even if I have all the numbers written down, like it's hard to like, I don't have that intuitive sense on it yet. And it's going to take time. I, I feel sad. Sorry for Saffron. Cause he's going to have to redo his entire, uh, default math set for evaluating set EV. <laughs> and he's going to have to write an extra, like extra, half article on the collector boosters and contrast them to the main boxes and try to suggest which one people should buy. We're going to be running some kind of content like that as well. And I, I would be very surprised if anybody writing an article on this topic doesn't have at least three errors. In the it article. seems like the math is, it's almost to the point where it's not worth writing about. Like, well, you got you got to put your tinfoil hat on and question whether this complexity is intentional. This is actually very similar to how treasure chests and so forth are constructed on Magic Online, where they are also very difficult to track and assess the value of because you have to be aware of what cards are currently on offer in those and that shifts over time. And you have to be aware of the secondary market values of what you can pull out of there and and the average EV, etc. So an argument could be made that they are completely aware of how complex they've made this product and the uh, intent there is to get you to give up and just go ahead and either buy it or not buy it. I, and they're they're hoping it sounds se- sexy enough that you're just. I mean, buy I, it. that's certainly pl- a plausible explanation. I'm I'm hoping that's not the direct. Well, I'm hoping not. But ultimately, the market will figure it out, right? Like people are going to list their cards for sale, and other people will look at those cards and decide whether or not that's too expensive, and then buy them or not buy them. Um, so. We don't even need the numbers. At some point in time, this will all get settled, but it'll be the Wild West until it is. And then you really would have people paying 20 bucks for a card that's 200 and vice versa. Um, I, I guess if I'm if I'm Saffron or anyone trying to write an EV of this, you, you basically it's basically impossible at the outset. It's, it's impossible bef- on the first run of this. And it's after you see how things shake out in Throne of Eldrain that you can make a an effort in the next set, basically. Yeah. But even still, that's going to be a mess. I think we've dug the logic trench deep enough for this evening. Let's call that a wrap for this week. Where can people find you online, Travis? I am on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write the uh, the Watchtower series every Monday at MTG Price, as well as uh, finding my way into your lovely ear holes once a week. You guys can find me on Twitter at MGG Critic as well as via my occasional articles on MGGPrice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MGGPrice.com Pro Trader service. For just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money. 
playing Magic the Gathering. Case in point, guarantee you our Discord will have all the stats settled uh, for these collector boosters before we do. Yeah. Uh, do you have to do? You have to do the our credit, credit again, giveaway. Right? Our twenty-five dollar gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc., our lovely show sponsor, is going to user party. Just party. Party. Congratulations, party. You can um, party with your twenty-five dollars. I would like to announce that I am no longer just writing the Watchtower series on MTG Price. On Mondays, you may see a normal Watchtower article, but 1.1 times a month, it will actually be a premium Watchtower article that may come with special additional artwork, but only when accessed from an IP address based that are odd numbers that yeah are odd one, numbers. once again mtg fast finance is probably sponsored by coolstuffinc.com where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock including the best and magic gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles use the promo code finance5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save five percent off your order and support this podcast that is finance number five we should probably start finance. clarifying that that brings I, us to the end I, of another I clarify it like once every other week like well every other week i mention it fair enough that brings us to the end of another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Really enjoyed our discussion, Travis. We'll see you all next week. This was episode 178. Next week, we'll see you back here for another episode of MTG Fast Finance, number 179. <laughs>